Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Line of Succession. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here as a my co-host, Spencer Spencer. How are you? Struggling to conceptualize the episode of Succession that we just watched. Well, it was the second to last one, so you better start conceptual- you better conceptualize away, my friend, because you don't have much time. We literally, one week from today, we will be reviewing the finale of Succession, and that will be it. How do you feel about that? I'm ready for it. I was ready for it after episode one, as you well know. You know, just less succession, the better off we are. You you do like to end things that you like. I mean, it's ending at the top of its game. What can you really hope for here? This is a show that is still exceptionally well-written. It's exceptionally well-acted. There's no drag. There's no bloat across multiple seasons. There's no obvious flanderization. If if a show's going to end, why not end at this kind of peak? I get what you're saying, and I I don't disagree, I guess. In theory, I mean, it is nice that the show is ending on the top of its game, but it does feel like with the penultimate episode being where they they basically put Logan in a mausoleum, where Logan finally mm-hmm. is put to rest. That gives us one episode without Logan. And I, I kind of feel like that that might not be enough. I kind of feel like it could have, we could have benefited potentially from another season without Logan. I, this will actually be my, my main criticism of this episode. I think it's still minor. I think every scene was still brilliant but this i don't think they should have done the penultimate and the burial in the same episode i think that made this episode feel a little bit overstuffed whereas every episode has been kind of focused on one event all season we've talked about how great and you know almost novel that has been this episode's doing kind of double duty and it did feel like a it felt like it, it, there were a few punches that were not as maybe as landed as well as they could have been just because they were doing so many other things rather than kind of ending on the notes they should have. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like we could have potentially gotten a few more episodes with just the kids because obviously I feel like what's happening after this episode is they're setting up for the final battle, the last episode, the last couple scenes is yep. Shiv and Kendall fighting Kendall. It, getting it out, fighting it out at the board level at the board level. For mm-hmm. vo- votes at the board level. And that doesn't have to happen immediately after Logan goes into Mausolea. But uh, I still think the episode was really, really good. I think there's a lot to like in it. I, I think next week is supposed to be like an hour and a half or something. I think we're going to get, yeah. get a really long finale next week. The preview told us absolutely nothing. But before we get to next Aggressively week, so. We need to review episode nine, the penultimate episode of Succession, titled Church and State. I will lead the recap every week. I will slug my way through a massive amount of dialogue and a bunch of really big seminal speeches here in this episode. It'll be interesting to see how we want to cover that. Then we'll jump to line of succession, which is the best line of dialogue in the episode, which Spencer every week gamely supplies me with nominees. And I got emperor of the segment. I alone will select best line of the week, line of succession. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Roy of the week. And, you know, this is this, <laughs> this wasn't quite the shit show it was last week. I think we can Roy, uh, award a Roy that won this week. And we can award mm-hmm. a Roy that lost this week. I would be okay with doing that this week. Last week, famously, we we said we scrapped the Roy that won. We said they were all shit, and we weren't going to award just best Roy. I think we can do that this week. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I, I think I, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Of where it, this one's all the easier to guess who the loser is, but the winner is going to be an interesting debate. Yeah, and then we will jump to uh, basically Spencer's relationship advice of the episode, where Spencer every week looking at all the healthy relationships that we see on screen. I would say probably, especially the sort of textbook parenting that happens with Rava and Kendall this week. Oh yeah, Spencer oh, yeah. will look Stellar. at that and will give us. Spencer's relationship advice of the week, which I always look to every week. Spencer, anything you want to say about the episode before we jump at the recap? Uh, 
I don't know how we're going to fully recap this episode. It'll be interesting to see how you go about handling what are three fascinatingly accurate speeches on the same guy from different perspectives. So, best of luck, sir. I, I don't envy you for that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we're getting a lot of feedback these days from our fans, and we really appreciate that. So, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to give us your feedback, you can always go to mangotalks.com, upper right-hand corner. Click, click Contact Us. You can fill out the form. Fire that bad boy off. It'll go through all the interwebs, all the intertubes, and we'll arrive right at my front door. You can also go to facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. That's probably the best place for us right now. Mm-hmm. We're still sort of building out our website and what we want that to eventually look like. But facebook.com slash Mangum Talks is where we really post the most up-to-date information on what we're doing in the channel. You can go there or you can follow us at Twitter, facebook.com, or uh, at Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash Mangum Talks. You can follow us there. I will say, we did have somebody say last episode that they were tired of hearing our phones buzzing. So, Spencer, do you have your phone? I had it. I was even placing it on silent in All anticipation right. of what you were doing. Let's put, put it away. Both, we're both on silent this week. We've heard you loud and clear. That's our bad. Hand up. Putting, our bad. Sorry about putting, that. Putting it on the bed in the other part of the room so it doesn't, doesn't make any noise. I will, I will say that that one's our bad. We uh, chalked that up to an L on our part. But we have turned our phones off, podcast professionals, that we are. We are ready to jump into the recap discussion, episode 9, Church and State. Let's fire away. Like all other episodes this week, this season, this one is set in one individual day. It starts with Roman and Shiv, split screen, getting ready in their respective homes. I, I, I did say that I would be pissed if they didn't change the ticker at the start of the episode. And, and they, they did, not. did not change the ticker. I am let down, succession. I am let down. Yeah, we watched this episode together because we, we went to a wedding this past week of another person who's on the Mangum Talks podcast network, BJ. He got married this last weekend. You and I were there. I uh, I went and, and, and nabbed you from your, your hotel so we could watch mm-hmm. succession. We did. We watched it in person. There were a number of things I'm going to call out of your reactions as oh, we God. were watching. But this was one of them where you were, you were clearly very upset they didn't change the ticker. I after had election. This, this was an opportunity. So the episode starts with Roman, Shiv, split screen. We see in the background, ATN is hearing shots of violence in the streets. There's violence in the streets, Spencer. Everybody, hide your kids, hide your wife. And it's specifically the Jimenez supporters that kind of like what we anticipated. They weren't going to take it lying down that democracy was being subverted by 100,000 absentee ballots being burned in an arson attack. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, I was pretty clear last episode. You were way less clear that what they were trying to say with the episode in part was that we have a particular problem with a particular brand of conservative media that is so Mm -hmm. fundamentally self-interested and cynical that something like this could occur on their airwaves. Right. I don't think it's a, I don't think this is a both sides are upset thing that they're trying to portray here. I think that what they're trying to portray is the Democratic candidate got screwed and the Democratic candidates are in the fucking streets. Or the Democratic yes. candidate supporters are in the fucking streets. I don't think they this are is marching. the people. It's the Jimenez people, and I think that's accurately being reported. Now, I do think that we saw on a couple of chirons here in the background of some of these opening scenes of the episode, we saw the word Antifa, Antifa getting thrown around, which, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Buzzword. How, how, yeah, that, that seems a little buzzwordy to me, but I think saying it's Jimenez supporters is probably accurate. Uh, from everything we see, it, 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 there is a decided demographic in the streets that is pissed as a result of the election, and it's not what we would assume would be Minkin's base. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a menace supporters, and I, I, you know, I don't think that we have. I think if you're going to say one side of the political spectrum is particularly prone to violence, I'm not quite sure you would you'd go with the right um, or with the left. Um, 
But I think in this case, it's only the left that is that is out there, right? And I think that's important to note because of what Roman does later in the episode, right? Very much so, yes. Yeah. Um, this isn't a bunch of the Minkin people that is mixed in that he might find some buddies with. It's it, a street full of enemies that he runs out in front of. Yeah, he wasn't joining a march. Yeah. He wasn't joining a collection of like minds. He was jumping into a lion's den. So Roman is preparing for the speech. This is kind of like me before I gave my, my speech at the wedding over the weekend. Uh, just, you know, getting ready, getting the suit on, preparing for the speech. And he's doing something that I have done in the past. I, not, not this weekend, but I have done in the past where he's doing a mix of actually practicing the speech and half talking to himself. And yeah. I'll tell you this, as somebody who, who does give speeches as part of my job or gives presentation, public presentations as part of my job, I'm only doing this if my confidence is at a really high level. Like, Roman Roman really <laughs> thought he had this in the bag. I'm telling oh, you. Yeah. It, this was going to be his heir apparent moment. This is when he was going to claim Logan's mantle. This was his crowning that was supposed to occur. Don't play out that way, but he is at an 11 in terms of confidence about how it's going to go. He was sent away during the Second World War. This is a very big part of Logan's origination story. We hear we this hear multiple later. times. Bing, bang, bong, set, set, set. I am the man. As you can see here, I am talking loudly like my father. Don't I perhaps <laughs> remind you of him? So he's joking with himself because of how confident he is that he's already got his speech in hand. I'm telling you, if he, if he, if he thought, felt like there was still issues with his speech, he'd be doing it word for word, right? Maybe in but, front of somebody, but he thinks he's got it. I will say, my favorite part of preparing for a speech, be it like, like an argument in court or whatever else, is that time of preparing while you're getting dressed. Like when you're putting on your suit, best time to go over your speech in my mind. Are you like uh are you like Rebecca and Ted Lasso with the with the the pose in the mirror? Do you have like a do you have like a, a some pose or something you do to give yourself a lot of confidence? No, not a thing. Not <laughs> no, a thing. No, nothing like that. Just, you know, the, the very much the Roman self affirmations. I am the man. I am the man. See Shivy cry, see can he die, see Roman the showman light up the sky. Last new, last days new adventures was he maybe Tiny, nice voice, losing it a little bit, but a great man. His demise was carried, written in fire, pulsed in electric, and a flash over seven continents in newspapers. He started networks. He launched through fiber. He laid. There is some good stuff in this speech. I would have wanted to see this speech. Kendall does a version of this speech, the best, the the closest that he can get in light of going after Ewan. But this looks like this was a banger of a well-written speech. Yeah, absolutely. This, This thing of... His demise was carried, written in fire, pulsed electric in a flash over seven continents and newspapers. He started networks. He launched. I mean, that's all really good stuff. So shout out, Roman. You wrote a good speech. You did not deliver one. I enjoy that they were specifically broadcasting to Antarctic research stations just so they could have seven continents. There's a couple hundred people that are down there. They're, they're getting, getting ATM. They're getting Waystar, some sort of Waystar product. Then Roman gets a call from Kendall. And the first thing Kendall asks is, are you okay? Yeah. So yeah. I... I'll tell you, I had a, a good a good friend of mine who listens to the podcast, one of my best buddies. He texted me. He said, finally, you got it. You got the episode you always wanted. <laughs> Kindle crushing it. And I got to say, like, as, as somebody who has most of the time fruitlessly rooted for mm-hmm. Kindle, he lives up to his potential the most in this episode than he has, in my opinion, than he has the entire series. Because it's little, and it's not just the speech, right? Because we've seen him come through yeah. in clutch moments before like that. It's the little leadership stuff that he's doing all episode. Like this, like immediately calling out that if there's going to be a problem with Rome, it's going to be a mental problem about his grieving. So the very first thing he does is ask him if he's okay. Like he does a lot of little leadership stuff through the episode. I'll, I'll try to call it out when I see it. That 
is sort of on Kindle. And I think what they're doing is showing us this like death sort of transformed this character into a different version of himself. Yeah, this is an interesting episode. We were, we were debating going in, would this be Manic Kindle? Would this be Depressive Kindle? It's really neither. This is a reforged, different Kindle. It's not a great person. It's a nightmarish person in several ways. But this is a Kindle that is very much trying to seize, you know, his father's mantle, to claim his legacy, to be, the you know, his father reborn into this era after his death. And it's fascinating. Yeah, and I'm not, when I'm saying it's like the best version of Kindle, I'm not saying like his, his, morality or what he's doing for people but i am talking about his um capabilities like he is more capable this episode than i think we've ever seen him this is an episode that is just meditating on the subject of what does it mean to be great when someone says that they were great what does that mean and we're getting that from all angles including through kendall Mm. like when you say a television show is great it means i usually mean it in a positive way you mean it you mean it was a miniseries I mean, and... it was, yes, it was, it was no more <laughs> than 10 was, episodes. It was probably British. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of course, made, nothing made, else. Made 40 years ago. Um, so Roman... So generations had to have passed, of course. Nothing Roman says new. he's actually excited. He says Minkin wins, Minkin will block the deal. He's so confident about this, like it's yeah. going to happen. And I got to tell you, the way they've written this, at this point in the episode, I would have assumed... Ipso facto, Minkin blocks the deal. Like the I, when they introduced the idea later that Minkin might not be in the bag for Roman, that surprised mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I, I was kind of a little bit surprised too. We also get Kendall saying later that he never trusted it. That you know, it was my mistake to even let you, you know, try this with Minkin. Do you think that he actually has doubts at this point, or is that just him justifying himself after the fact? I think he does have doubts, but the, but I, I just thought they were found. I thought they were mixed up. And his frustration with Minkin's politics. Mm-hmm. But I think he's had doubts about Minkin the entire time. That's why he was like, it, when he was there faced with the call, he was like, let's see if we can just get a modicum of something from the Democrats. Because I really yes. don't want to work with this guy Minkin, right? It, I'm, I'm with you. It was more of a, like a personal doubts about the guy and you know, not wanting to bring him into the fold rather than thinking that he wouldn't fulfill. But if he, if he did share those doubts, they proved imminently accurate this episode. Kendall only seems to be half listening. Instead, he's watching the streets of Manhattan and things don't seem to be going well. Don't don't look good, Spencer. Don't don't look good. Don't look good. There are rioters in the streets, and there's only a questionable ability of the local authorities to, you know, corral them. Yeah. Um, So he, in talking to Romy, says, do you think, you know, for business, for everything, maybe we can get, you know, Jared to turn the volume down a little? Mm-hmm. Minkin tells him, you know, so he's trying to get Minkin to sort of Calm. pump the brakes because he's looking out at like this sort of like riot in the streets, See Jets versus people. shark thing that he's he's getting there. Roman tells him not to be a p word. You uh, you don't like these fucking ratings. It's Discord, man. Discord makes my card. Spencer, talk to the talk to the people. Tell them what Discord is. Discord conflict, anger. Pa- you know, it, it is that kind of just. It's 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 angry debate between other people. It is the the foundation of war and violence between people. It is that angry struggle. <laughs> oh, what do you want? Man. I'm like finding a philosophical term here. Do you want me to find like Discord? The online thing is Discord's a, a piece of software that people get on um, and chat with each other. Uh, you might want to also just a word. You might want to quickly Google it real quick. Uh, that's what I'll set you up for. But I think that might be what he's referencing here. No, no, no. I think I, I think I think he literally just means Discord in terms of that you know violence between people. 
I don't think he means like, you know, Discord, the online place where you can talk about video games on a forum. Mm, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure about that. Kindle says, sure. I mean, it's the funeral. Uh, Roman says he'd love it. And Kindle says, I don't know, maybe Queasy Gonzalez. So he's saying I'm, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little unsure about this. And I, I don't think it's a, it's an accident that Kindle went with a Hispanic reference there with, yeah. with Minkin. Uh, stated Nazi, so I think that's pretty good. So right away, Kendall's not comfortable with Roman's approach. Kendall says, yeah, 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 yeah. They're all busy, okay? Um, we'll see you at Shivsky's, right? Kendall says he has to go, jumps off the line. He's talking to Rava. Rava's voice is immediately shaky. She says she's concerned that everyone is saying there's going to be major disturbances today. She's actually on a piece of software called Discord when she's talking to. Oh, is she? Yeah, Roman. she's dialing yeah, into to, that. To him about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a brand new, absolutely brand new thing that's hit the streets these days. Oh, yeah, it's been around 10 years. Kendall says that rumors, uh, that, that he says that's rumors. He's with Fikret. So we're increasingly introducing Fikret as a bit of a, sort of a phantom character for Kendall. Seemingly, I'd say, I'd say Fikret is his Colin, but he gets his Colin before the end of the episode. So, you know, he's got a driver and a body man separate. Gonna go with the Sibs, and then he's gonna pick them up, and she kinda cuts him off, says no, that, uh, I think we're gonna head upstate today, and I'm really sorry, but that is my decision, okay? Ken immediately sort of loses it. He says, what are, what are you talking about? Rava says, it's not safe here. Ken asks her if she's left already. She says no. So he hangs up on her, tells Fikret to take off. I'll figure out fines and violations. Just get us there now. Why is Kendall so pissed about this? Like, uh, we're, we're, we're going to see him go completely straight up ranting in the streets nuts here in a second. But what sets him off about this? That, well, Discord is a piece of software. I mean, I don't know. I feel go like on. I feel like you with the, with the question. It doesn't isn't this obvious? Is he wants his children to go to their grandfather's funeral? I mean, that seems pretty pretty obvious. I think that if d- you wanted d- to be cynical, actually- if you want to be cynical about it, I think that the, he is very worried about the optics and the power optics, considering that Matson and Minkin both likely will be there, and he doesn't want to show any Discord. Oh, look at me, podcast professional what? within his family. So he just doesn't he doesn't like that idea. Okay. That with his kids not there, people might talk. I mean, you can be cynical about that, but I do think there's a piece of him that's like, are you fucking kidding me? The kids need to go to their grandfather's funeral. Does he actually think, though, that Rob is betraying him? Because he accuses her of such. He accuses her of that you're just trying to hurt me for the funeral. Or is that just a, a you know, is that, that is that just a tactic or is that just a, the irrational coming through? I think he's angry and I think that he he's he's opening the possibility that that might be part of Rava's but motivation don't feel, here. Don't but feel I, it is. Well, that, that's that's you. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that Rava Rava has shown that she's a bit more bit more. I'm not saying. Look, here's the thing. I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. Go on. A, I'm not saying she's a snake. I repeat. I, I'm not saying she's a snake. But we have seen that Rava can get petty very quick and i think that he has a history of feeling like she's gotten petty with him and so i think his mind is going there do i think that rav is being petty in this moment no i don't but i think that he's drawing on some history with her that we've seen evidence of to kind of start jumping to that conclusion in his anger which is it's anger fueled for sure no i think it's definitely where he's going through i also like i'm with you 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 want the optics he wants his kids to be there I also 100% with you. I don't think that's at all factoring into Rob's decision making. I think she's just afraid for her kids and her kids are scared. And so she's just trying to get away. And that's a very human reaction to seeing the world cr- crumble around you. So I'm not sure the world's crumbling around her, right? Because I mean, it, it, I, that's how she feels. Right. And, but I, I think that's an important distinction because that's what Kendall's saying. He's saying you're too online. You're, you've lost the thread. You're not <laughs> seeing, you're not seeing things as they really are. There, the world isn't really falling in around them. Yes, people are protesting. People are upset. 
that. But I, I do think it's a bit of an overreaction from her. I don't think the kids. I don't. I'm more, I'm more team Robin than team Ken on this, this assessment. I think Ken's being, I think Ken is trying to diminish it given his own guilt at bringing it about. You know how many security guards are going to be at that funeral? Like the one of the safest places they could be is at the funeral. She's truly worried about the person. Getting to the funeral, their car gets attacked. People knock on the windows. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, I think. I also wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, I'm talking myself into it now. I wouldn't be surprised if part of it is Rava is really angry that ATN is the one that made the call to push Minkin, and there's probably resentment there that's but that's factoring into some of this because she jumps right because she actually says during this, which I, I I'll get back to the recap yeah, here. Yeah, go into it. She actually says um, to Ken that uh, you know I think we're going to head upstate today. Hold on, no, uh, we're not, we're not quite there yet, but we, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump go, to go, it. Go through it. And go then, through I'll, it. then I'll go back. He says, what the fuck's going on? You're getting out of town. Well, that is hysterical bullshit. You're not taking your kids to, the, to their grandfather's funeral. Are you insane? You're too online. You've lost context. Then she says, you promised me Daniel would win. Our daughter is not fine. Nothing is fine. So that tells me like part of this is she is angry that ATN is was was the organization responsible for making this call. I wouldn't be surprised if that that's part of her anger. I mean, it, it could be, but when we see Rava get angry at Ken, she immediately curses him, she immediately attacks him, she brings up his drug use, brings up being a shitty father, whatever else. She doesn't do any of that here. If anything, she's just trying to hurt a person that is barely in control in front of her just so she and her kids can get out of town so they feel safe. This feels Rava relatively more measured and controlled, certainly more than Ken here. I don't. I don't think that she's going. I think she. I think she's being very honest about how she feels with respect to why they're leaving. I don't see this as a tactic. When people are petty, they're not always petty in exactly the same way. Sure. Right. So, like the fact that she doesn't immediately start screaming and drug talk about his drug but, leaks but, like she had before yeah, that, that, doesn't that mean she's not being usual means though. Doesn't mean she's not being petty. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think this makes a lot of sense based on what I've seen. I've seen some. Some people. I've seen some people boarding up windows, and I've seen some people walking in the streets. I've not seen things on we, fire. I've not seen uh, any violence other than somebody hitting Roman in the lip because he's being a prick. Like I haven't seen enough to make me think you have to flee the city. But the, you know, whatever. Maybe I'm crazy. I think the show's taking pains to indicate that things are barely in control. That the tick, the tickers are constantly going in the background with news about violence or protests, whatever else. If you want to frame that as just being conservative reporting on it, sure, possible, but it's what people are hearing. And all we see is then constant armed police response building throughout the city, people boarding things up, protests in the streets. Whether it's true or not, people are actively, legitimately fearful of it. Okay. Well, you made your point. Uh, I I, I tend to not trust Raba because when somebody like, she just immediately cuts to very personal shit with Ken sometimes. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not, that's a person who is a bit meaner than she presents. I don't know what she does here though. You've made that clear. You've made it. You made it quite clear that you think that. Uh, but I, I just don't. I don't tend to trust that character very much. Uh, but you did. You did make a comment that I thought was interesting when we were. You're, you're, you're entrenched in this position now, so you've forgotten you've said it. But you said what this thing uh, where you, you, you proposed that maybe we'd have the Kendall Logan parallel, and that remember how Logan got Connor's. I still wife, hear this. His yeah. first wife committed that maybe we'll get some sort of parallel to that in the next episode that he will lean on this idea that she's being quote hysterical and then may do some semblance of what Logan did to his first wife. 
with Connor's mom? No, I still fully adhere to that. I just think it would be a play rather than she's actually, you know, nuts. Okay. Everyone's saying there's a, going to be major disturbances today. She says, blah, 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 blah. And he, he takes off, right? So cut to shit and mm-hmm. And he's telling her what a shit show this all is. And it, he's doing the thing that like, we, you know, look, if you vote, if you voted for Trump, shout out to you, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were people in Europe doing the thing that Matson's doing in 2016 who are calling their American counterparts going, <laughs> what in the fuck happened here? What did you do? Because it really is like, it's like, kicking back in like uh you know you've watched a sports team trade away their star for nothing and you're like yeah. you call fans of the other team like <laughs> what the fuck are you doing that kind do, of thing do right? you enjoy shooting yourself in the foot shift tells him all all hell's broken loose from a news perspective time to get out your bad numbers and i gotta say shivy is 100 percent right oh. here they couldn't have asked She's for a better moment so to right. bury the news. And, and it's shocking. Like I, I kind of proposed early on that I thought that Matson. two things about Matson, right? One was that he was getting more pressure for the sale than we thought, right? From his backers, uh, yeah. Right. Um or for the for the for the purchase, for the sale of Waystar Wicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Wicker. And two was that he was maybe not as good with people and he was a bit more socially awkward than you might think from first blush. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he doesn't get that Shiv is right here right away is sort of shocking to me. Yeah, he actually fights her on this. He's like trying to like, hey, you know, can't we just keep it hidden forever? Well, well, he uses some new to speech line, doesn't he? To describe what he's, what he's feeling. Yeah, he says if you have a, a little dicky, maybe you don't go to the new to speech. That's it. Uh, like, no, dude, you couldn't have asked for a better possible moment for no one to notice any news at all, other than the headline. No one will be talking about anything with respect to you for two weeks, and by that point, the potential fervor will have faded. The five people that are paying attention will get drowned out. This is a gift from on high in terms of burying shit in the news cycle. Like and I feel, I, I feel like if you're asking Shiv to work through the logistics of the cruise division support of living of the living plus model. She's probably not the right person because of this thing that Madsen throws in her face later, which is that she kind of lacks a little bit of experience, but something like this, this is her fucking wheelhouse. Like this this is what she does. Yeah. You should listen to her. Right. Uh, Lucas says she's forceful. How do we get around Minkin? Cause this is real, right? That he's blocking the deal of a regulatory shift kind of waffles, but says she doesn't see it. He's out of tune with some deep sentiments in this country. Madison says, you've been a democracy for like 50 years. And, and she kind of says, <laughs> no to this. and he says, Oh, not unless you don't count black people, which is kind of a bad habit that you guys have. <laughs> tough. <laughs> tough. All right. Shut up. You're right, but shut up. Uh, you know, she says it's a little more complicated than that. He says, he goes about his experiences, democracies, but Swana, which while true in some sense, doesn't really speak to like, yeah, you, you know the stability of your country, it's but like, whatever. Okay, Sweden, you did let women vote until the twenties. It's all a process. Madsen says he should reach out. He wants to know how it went. Shiv, I still think cleanest is to just activate. Can you talk to your buddies? Get the algo, you know, pushing that straight dope. Jib, Shiv says she has to go, but he's going to be there today. So get Ebba to bury those numbers. It's just were, so golden. Were you worried that he wasn't? I was kind of worried in this moment that he was just not going to do it. Uh, I thought that was in play for sure. I mean, yeah. he seemed like he, he seemed like he had a bad, a poor understanding of what was about to happen if he actually bought a publicly traded company in America. Like, if, yeah. well, he, like that, that, you know, needed to 
uh, reimburse shareholders for. Uh, he, he had a bad idea of, of the amount of sunlight that was about to be shone into his organization. I think it highlights something that we heard from Ken previously is that regardless whether the deal goes forward or not, I really don't think he understands his market. I think we're seeing a lot of signs of that is that even if he gets this across the line, I don't think he's going to be that good at it. Yeah. So then we have that scene with uh, Ken yep. and and the the woman who is making a hundred percent great points, and then talking one remotely, accurate, not remotely wrong about anything she says at all, and mm-hmm. absolutely perfectly reasonable, hundred percent reasonable. I, one thing, Kendall, Kendall does seem pretty upset about this. You asked why he's upset. I tried to give an answer. You didn't seem to like it. What do you think, Kendall? No, no. I, 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 I thought you hit the various points. I just kind of want to emphasize that. I think he's coming from different directions, even in his own head. I thought you emphasized that well. Is that I think from just a pure optic standpoint, dead on. His kids aren't going to be there when all the senators and all the important people are. People are going to talk. Journalists are going to write on it. But Ken's kids weren't present. Whether they'll actually notice it all, whatever else, but it's the paranoia going on in his own brain. From an emotional support standpoint, he actually wants his kids to be there. He wants to feel like, you know, he's a better father than his dad was and that his kids would be there to support him and be there for that situation. He's now being confronted that, no, his kids don't want to go to this for a lot of reasons. And I also think, I mean, I I emphasize this one, but I'll hit it again, that... I think he wants to, or needs to think everything's fine, because he's feeling guilt about how things played out. I think he's paying attention to the news and trying to divorce himself from responsibility from it. So someone that is freaked out about it, he's trying to to diminish that any way he can, because he doesn't want to think about that, you know, I played a role in the fact that things are kind of fucked on the streets right now. Yeah, it certainly could be part of it. Um, I also think that there's a tendency for people who, just in this country, there's a tendency from people who are either in the middle or to the right to um, think that maybe the left does the sky is falling thing a little bit too fast. That's a very common narrative in our country where the, le- the left will say, well, the Constitution's basically ripped up because I didn't like the Supreme Court decision. And the right goes, settle down, chicken little, like the country's still going to wake up tomorrow and go to work. Like that is a conversation that happens. So that might be some of the dynamic. I don't, I don't think you're hundred percent wrong though that he, he's feeling a little guilt about what ATN did. It's all, it's all pretty complicated. I, I will say that like evidence that Rava at, at a minimum is taking Ken's feelings as the, the sort of like backseat here, like that, that she's not remotely considering how he's going to feel because she says, well, we'll go to the memorial. And he's like, he didn't want a memorial. No, we're not having a memorial. No. You didn't even bother to ask that. Like you're just, and they just don't either. Yeah. Right. I mean, no, no, they don't have a memorial. Like, so it's, it, she didn't even bother to ask that question. She's just sort of no, like no, no, saying no, no. stuff. Her, 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 if you want, if you want to sign her positive minutes, her only priority is her kids. Ken's not even secondary to that. She's, she she gave him the courtesy of informing him what she was already set on doing, and that's it. Yeah. Well, Ken says he's going to go to court to get an emergency court order to stop you from leaving the city. Either, <laughs> either you or your girlfriend muttered he won't have time to do that while this scene was going live. Like, Ken, she's driving away. Just there, If you want to lay down in front of the car, that's the only card you've got to pull, and he doesn't even go through with that one. Yeah, he says he's going to block the car, but he doesn't block the car. So cut to Tan. Looking at an expose on the ATN call, he's asking who gave them the timeline. Greg, well, a lot of people know that a lot of people don't want to go to The Hague for war crimes. <laughs> I mean, Greg, possibly, I'm still sticking to pass from Jess of when they cut to her and her cell phone immediately after she hears this is going to happen. I'm, and I'll also just, we talked about this, but all the professionals in the room aren't comfortable with this. They're all probably trying to leak this because they're not personally, you know, comfortable with this kind of political motivation. P- political and business motivation went into their call. 
Tom says, ooh, look at you. Tom then complains that there isn't enough of him. He is hilarious. You know, there's a great graphic of Darwin, but they can, this, this diminishes my role. I'm, I'm tarred with the mink and brush, right? So I, I might as well get my goodies. There's no point joining the party unless you get your little DACA. <laughs> this is fucked. They're highlighting people that are, you know, were actively, you know, subverting democracy. I want to be at the front of that story. I want to be the largest face on that. Yeah, I mean, his logic is they're all gonna they're all gonna say I'm I'm a Minkinist anyway, so I need to get as much credit as possible to begin with Minkin. Yeah, this is how Tom works. Is that like once he thinks that he's in a particular camp, he's going to go 100 percent that camp just because if I'm if I'm if they're going to win, I want to be a part of it. In the back, ATN is playing more violence in the streets enough that Spencer's actually booked his his trip to Chile at this point. He's gone. He's out of country. It's oh, too no, bad. I'm- Already left. Not, uh, even, not, not even not even driving. It's uh, basically not a democracy anymore. No, no. Shout, shout out, Matson. Some people walk <laughs> into his office and Tom tells them <laughs> that he previously said, two minutes, two minutes to go back outside. He's one of those people who like, well, when people walk in his office, will kick them out of his office. Like that's, mm-hmm. a, whew, I tell you, I don't like working with those people. Greg is blowing air. Tom's like, what? Greg says, the funeral. I mean, I I feel the need for closure. I'd, I'd like to grieve. This tet song sets Tom off. He says he's a wheel man. I'm a casket man. I'm a fucking front wheel. I'm front right. Tom says, fine. Fuck off. Go. Save me a place, though. A good place, okay? Second row. And tell the men, uh, the making team that I made the call, okay? Make sure they know I made the call. Now, question for Spencer. Yes. When Greg is desperately trying to get time with Minkin later, negotiating everything, everything except like a, a fucking left foot to Roman to get five seconds with Minkin. Does it have to do with this request? Is he really that good of an assistant to Tom? I'm not sure. I kind of hope so. I guess like, it's, I feel like he's just, I had orders. I have to fill my orders. I'm a good Greg. I, I'm gregging with the best of them. <laughs> I kind of thought that's what because when he finally does get in front of him, you notice right before Roman gets that cane out on stage and yanks him off, yeah, he says, Tom and I made the call. Tom made the call. So he's like, he's trying to fit it in. No, I love that you called that out. That's a great point. I, th- I, I think that it's not. He wasn't just trying to get his own FaceTime, whatever else, though. Interestingly enough, I think that may play well for him later. I think he legitimately had orders, and to- when Greg gets orders, he's going to fight tooth and nail to get that done. Okay, let's address it now, because it's the elephant in the room. Big, big online sort of theory, conspiracy. Groundswell. Will Greg be the American CEO when all said is done? I would love it. I would, I mean, I, I, we've debated how this show is going to end. And I think the two most, so I was some people seeing online, oh, Shiv's going to win, Shiv's going to win. It's like, I think the more likely scenario is that Shiv successfully gets the deal to go forward and then gets knifed by Matson and Minken. And they go with a much more loyal Patsy and Stooge in the form of Greg. Not, Greg. It's like, Matson likes him. We know that Matson likes him, feels that he can trust him. That he's the everyman American, the way that, you know, Matson understands it. Minkin's going to look at this kid and go, is that he can, like, bend him bend him like a noodle however he wants. He seems like it'd be a better scenario for both of them than Shiv would. So, I, I in terms of possible scenarios, I think that one's a rising possibility that Shiv wins, but gets personally screwed over, and it's Greg that rules the heap, and God help America. I feel like they've been setting it up, right? Because they've been given us so many clues that Greg is really the only one that is growing in station. Everybody yes. else is kind of running in place. And that Matson isn't a serious person. And mm-hmm. that like he would do something like this where he would just, just grab someone like Greg and, and stick him in. And I also think that we have seen a lot of foreshadowing in how the kids have treated Greg this season. 
mm-hmm. things like hanging up. I don't speak to Greg. Stuff like that. But, but, but at the same time, to, uh, relying on him to be their agent at all given moments, in all rooms, at all times. It's like no one respects him, but no one notices him. But everyone's starting to like include him. That, that, that Greg has been gaining a base of power and influence that people have not recognized yet. I would love the subversion if it comes to afford this next episode. Tom tells him to walk because it's gridlock shot of New York City traffic. Tom then lets in the non-playable characters. Then we see Roman <laughs> get in the car. And it's time for the cutscene. We see Kendall, Roman, and Schiff all in the same car. And guess what? Kendall's in the back alone backseat you, by himself. you called it you, you I, i'm noticing that as a result of you pointing that out but every bit of framing is kindle isolated from the rest of his family like it's, hey in terms of other scenarios how the next episode ends i think that one still has a hell of a chance alone contemplative like as powerful as we've ever seen him but also as miserable maybe as we've we've seen him outside of and, a few and, very acute moments and he gets more isolated before the episode is done. We, we, we talked about when he was going to lose even more base of support, and we get to see it play out scene by scene. Do you have the script in front of you? Uh, for him, them in the car? Yeah. Uh, what in particular would you like me to read, sir? Well, I, just, I was just asking you if you have it in front of you. I do have it in front of me. Okay, I may I may have to rely on you for a few of the I, Roman lines I'm here. here. I then will read see, the things. Let me see Roman get in the car. Um, so Shiv asks Roman if Minkin is going to come today, and, and Roman counters by asking about Madsen. Shiv just shrugs him. Doesn't know when he's beat. You should be pleased. Minkin wins. He blocks the deal. We stay in charge. Shiv points out, you do. Roman says, well, the idea is family. Big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kendall says, yep, it's just a great fucking day. Notice that Kendall says that out of nowhere. Yeah. It wasn't, it was not part of the conversation. Wasn't, wasn't even had. paying attention. How Logan is that? Logan used to do that shit all the time where he'd oh. be sitting isolated from everybody else and you'd hear him just go real fucking great. Really love this fucking uh, shit. Kendall is wearing Logan's mask all episode. We are hearing his voice come through this guy at various points, but yeah, good call on that one. That's definitely a Logan way of just not engaging at all of them. Just keep mumbling fuck under his breath. Shiv asks if he's okay. He says, yeah, 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 good. I don't, I don't know. Rob is taking the kids out of the city. She's concerned. So Roman says it's dumb and shitty. Shiv just says, I'm sorry, Ken. So I think you got Roman who seems to think, eh, might, might not be the, the best pretext for just taking the kids away from the grandfather's funeral. Shiv doesn't play that card though. So Shiv might be she more in the said, camp, might be more in the camp that you are where she, all yeah. she says is, I'm sorry, Ken. She doesn't cast any blame on Rafa. No, she's, she's just being supportive of her brother. I don't think she's at all being condemn, condemning of Rafa for decision. But point you just referenced, I forgot about. Do you think Roman actually is doing this for family or would involve his two siblings if, you know, Minkin, if, if his plan comes to fruition, if his speech goes great and Minkin's in office, or is he just be, want to be the one guy wearing the crown too? So I think it, I think we get evidence that it's, it's B, it's the latter, yeah. because it, before his speech, when he still thinks he's got it, before he notices that his father's actually in a box, he goes yeah. up to Frank and he goes, Hey, Frank, what do you think about me being the king? Right? Yeah. So he's already laying the groundwork for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They they have gone their separate ways after the immediate shock of Logan's death. Absolutely. Shiv asks him, um, well, Shiv says, you know, I'm sorry. Ken Ken says, well, it's fine. It is what it is. Right. Rome asks if they got mom's invitation for Caribbean air clear. Is this the mom inviting them on just like a Caribbean vacation so they can, you know, you know, be free from it all for a bit. It is exactly. 
I I would go. I would go. She'd be endlessly entertaining just to wander about. I like the mom, but she takes a lot of L's this episode. The kids are the kids are beating her up hard this episode. She gets a lot of L's from people talking about her. In her actions, she has one massive W. We're gonna get to. Yeah, she yeah she does. But you know, her her conversations with Shiv, it seems like Shiv is landing about a lot of body blows. Shiv says, "Oh, mom just suddenly wants to mom now." Kindle, yeah. I'm a hard no. Kindle's, it's off the table for Kindle right away. They're emotionally done with her. There's no, the mom has no involvement in their lives or in their heads whatsoever. They wrote her off years ago, particularly now. She says, then Shiv just busts out. She does it. She says, I should tell you, I'm telling mom today probably. I've wanted to stay for a while. I'm actually pregnant. There you go. What does Roman say? Uh, the, the room is shocked. I mean, first they ask, yes, yeah, are you have, you're having a WAMS gams? A WAMS? Well, WAMS first Roman says, is it mine? God, I mean, it's, is it mine? Yes, you're having a Wom's clams. Uh, I thought you'd just been eating your feelings. Uh, then he just goes into, you know, I'm not going to stop with those joke things. I'm also like, if I see you breastfeeding, I'm going to jerk off. I mean, that, that because it will be hot. Roman is at an 11 in terms of the Roman weird, creepy conversations with a sister here. So I think this is some, I think this is a little bit of hints in the writing. I think that Roman defaults to this sort of like over the top, yes, nasty, performative. performative, gross character when he is when he is trying not to face something. Yeah, when he is he's he's pushing some feelings down and trying to not address well, them, and, and that's so, what's going and so on. People, and so other people can't see them too. He's presenting them the Roman that they assume rather than the Roman that's suffering. Yeah. Um, he says, should we bone again? Kid number two. Yeah. Kindle's patience is pretty short. He just cuts right through it. He says, guys, can we today, shall we, for the funeral, cool it? Like, today is just about today, okay? They do stop. They do stop when Big Brother Kindle asks this. Well, he's more and more, there's a bit of levity to his voice. Uh, or, um, um, gravitas, I mean. Yes. There's it, a bit of gravitas to his voice more and more. It has weight. Yeah. Um, more than I've seen it maybe ever in the show when he's, because he's not speaking up as much. And when he's doing it, you're, the characters are kind of like, and this isn't that like, I mean, it's, it's my interpretation, but like, I don't think it's, this analysis is based on my interpretation. The characters are treating it that way. And that, it, it very much had the connotations in the scene of, he may be in the back, but he's driving and he's telling his two kids to shut up. We're going to have a silent drive from here on out. Okay, kids? And so, they do. Cell phone vibrates. It's Jess. She's telling Kendall there's a gathering or like a march or like something. It's gathering around the block, and FDR is totally gridlocked. She says, oh, wait, and drops a pen. So then we see a bunch of people banging the car windows. This is the part you said was a complete uh, uh, attack. They basically split the car. Straight terrorist attack, lit, almost lit just a fire. bomb underneath it. They barely survived. It was nightmarish. Lit it on fire. It's like a, like a Northern Ireland situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is straight up the troubles is what we're seeing playing out here. Yes. <laughs> then we hear an ambulance. They stop. They got Jess. So yeah, Jess opens the door. She asks Graham how he's doing. He's like, great day. Rome makes fun of Kindle's sunglasses by saying he's putting on sunglasses so as to hide his emotions and thus emerge victorious mm-hmm. as the winner of the funeral, which is kind of hilarious and a lot of foreshadowing. Dear Christ, yeah. I mean, they they are highlighting in a way that's directly apparent on rewatch that Roman is trying to cast everyone looking any direction but at him because he is actually a piece of tissue paper that's about to be ripped apart. And Kindle does kind of emerge victorious as the winner of the funeral. Like, that kind yeah. of happens. Particularly the funeral. We can debate the reception, but the funeral? Yeah, Kendall wins that. Grandma says, hey, Jess, listen, early next week I want to speak with some family lawyers. Custody. I want custody. 
So I don't. Here's the thing. I think that there will be some fallout. I mean, because they, they could go one of two ways, right? They, mm-hmm. This could be like a thing where Kendall's like Kendall's like hyper emotional about Rob's decision during the day, and then tomorrow he's like, backs it off. He well, he's just like focused on the on the deal and completely forgets about it. I'd be shocked if that happens. I think it's going to go the other way, where there is going to be some level of fallout where. Like Rava will now all of a sudden have like joint custody or something she didn't have before. There will be some sort of accountability for this, I think. What did you think of my theory? Do you think that they're going to, you know, create the cyclical, you know, multi-generation trauma the way the show likes to do? And he's going to do this. He's going to try to do the same thing that he knows his dad did with Connor's mom. So that would work from a narrative perspective, uh, you know, as far as just like the blocking of the story. Yes. They do like to ground all this shit in some level of reality, though, and I just don't know that there's much of a case to commit her because she took no. the kids away when well, there was violence in the streets. I don't think he'll. I don't. I, I don't. I literally don't think he can commit her, particularly under New York law. However, I do think he's going to try to use that as, as ammunition that you know she's not in control, which is why he'll get she's yeah. overreacting, and he'll get some amount of custody that he didn't have before. I do think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But anyway, during the, this whole process, he sees that Jess has put something on his calendar in the future. In the future. The future days ahead. I mean, it's like Wednesday or something, Tuesday or Wednesday or something. It's like, it's multi days ahead. Probably booked after lunch. You know, don't want to do, don't don't, don't want to go into lunch hungry for that kind of conversation, but this would be a great 2.30 kind of meeting. Ken says, let's bump it. She says, totally. We'll just do it when we do it. Ken then stops and says, what the hell is it about? She's like, well, I just want to talk to you about a situation. Ken says, it's a big day. Or Ken says, she says, she tells Ken, Ken, this is a big day. I don't want to do this today. So she it, says, I don't want Ken, to do this today. Yeah, but at this point, Ken gets it. It's like, you know, if, 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 if he hadn't realized what it was, he may have been going along with it. But now that he realizes exactly what it is, he's going to pull the Band-Aid and then blame her for it later. Yeah, she does tell him flatly, I don't want to do this today. She says, well, I'm thinking about it. Thinking all kinds of things that come on what? Fairly obvious is what this is. Just as she's always been... Kendall has always been supportive of her, but I'm sure you can understand that it might be a good time for me to move on to another position. Ken says, okay, wow, okay, fine, 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 of course you can. I like that mm-hmm. he says, of course you can, as if he has to it, grant approval. She, she, she is still asking for his endorsement in this kind of moment. He, she wants to make this a, you know, an easy mutual kind of transition and also express, I think, legitimately that she does really, you know, appreciate all the connections and power and potential that he's offered her. He just can't make that claim. He can't get, he can't let this exit with grace. He's too much between Rava, his own guilt, his own stress, whatever else. He's too much looking to, you know, think the world is attacking him around him. Yeah. I mean, these types of positions are difficult because I think that there's a tendency sometimes for the person in control to think that these types of positions are like teammates. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're my team and they're, they need to be loyal to me and we're all in this boat together when yeah. the, the other person might just view it as a, just a job. Right. And for her, this job is now bordered into a territory. She just doesn't want to do that job anymore. She wants to move on. It might be that simple in her mind, but for Kendall, it's my point guard has left me or my shooting guard has left me. Like this, this team member who is down in the foxhole is bailing on me. So he gets, a, he has this emotional reaction. Yeah. It, this is this is the pharaoh, you know, having completed his tomb, now turning into second command, said, "Okay, thank you so much. So you're going to be buried in here with me, right? It's like not even just like pondering a world of where you're not going to be following my whims at all times in the future." He says, "This is about Mink, and she doesn't answer that at all. But she just says she's been thinking about it for a while." He says, "I have to say, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, Jess. I mean, if you still feel sorry about it, maybe you should reconsider." 
Gives her a second. She doesn't reconsider. He says, I'm sorry, but I've given you extraordinary access, Kindle. Standing on soapbox, both feet high in the air, tiptoes on his soapbox. Where else are you going to get that? Nowhere. I'm telling you, you're going to eat that. You're going to get that nowhere. You have no idea how things will turn out. It's very juvenile. It's fucking dumb. You're being dumb. Everyone is being fucking dumb. He told, he told one. He told, Continuation from Rava. He told, he told one. He's had one phrase, one sentence there that I think was the truth for him. And that is everyone's being fucking dumb. I don't think he, he thinks she's juvenile. I don't think he thinks she's dumb. I think he just thinks everybody's not understanding the, the position. The world that, as the, he sees it. They're not understanding the position that he's in. And this is the time to help him. And people aren't doing it. And fuck them. They're not loyal. Uh, is he right that it is? Was Mink? Well, you're, well, I mean, obviously Minkin played a role. But is Minkin the straw that broke the camel's back? It was it, or would she have been, you know, with Kin for years after this if Minkin hadn't occurred? Is this, just, you know, another event and like a long series of dear God, what does Jess put up with? Or is when Minkin truly just, I can't be part of this anymore? I think both those things are true. I think that like you can't, I don't think you can work for Ken without daydreaming about quitting from time to time. <laughs> Any given day. Yeah. So she's thought about it. But I do think obviously the Minkin thing is what turned it. I mean, they, they showed us that scene with Greg to make sure we understood how much this was affecting Jess. Yeah. The, the, I mean, this is, it, it, it's, it's meant to be, it's being framed for Kendall in this kind of conversation of Rabba, but this is another person that's like, no, no, Ken, I know you want to treat everything as just like, it's okay and fine. We can continue on with our lives, but it's not. And I can't be part of this anymore. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, like there were absolutely people in this country, probably a lot of younger people and younger people of color. So that's a great, it's a great depiction of Jess, right? As a character who would do this, that, if their employer was supporting the lead up to Trump in the lead up to the 2016 election, would it bolted? Like there were a oh. lot of people who felt that strongly about that candidate. Like this is grounded and, in some things that were going on. And, and this one's even more than 11 because she directly knows her boss made this happen. She's, this isn't just like they supported him. This is that my boss made this guy president. I can't continue to aid this guy in doing, doing these, this kind of shit. So as they walk into the church, we see Hugo who walks up and tells Kendall, and that's in a slipped out that they have got got deeply, deeply bullshit subscriber numbers all across South Asia. But that Hugo that's knows. not that's not for now. That's not for now. Ken, but you, you are in fact me. you are in fact telling me now. Hugo says, Yeah, but it's it's not for you to engage. It's just so you know whether it could have been a lot weather could have been a lot worse for this, huh? So he tries to pivot. He says, Yeah, weather could have been worse, huh? It's it's not bad weather. Yeah, when 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 Kendall doesn't have Greg next to him, he's he's got Hugo, and Hugo's being a spy master all episode in terms of getting information to get him quick quick leads on information too Hugo's doing a good job you can see why Kendall wants to have him part of his team woof woof then we see Shiv talking with Connor who apparently now wants to do a eulogy she's explaining that what he's put together is long and it's hard to follow well Willow says it's did Willow write this it's formally inventive Willow wrote this Willow played a key role in writing this that's one of the things we like the most about it she says it's formally Mm -hmm. inventive Shiv then gives us this line which I have so many questions about this eulogy is going to leave us open to legal action. Spencer, what say you, Conhead that you are, what did Connor and Willow put together that would have left them open to legal action? I don't know. I truly don't know. I want the speech. I really want, like, the one guy who actually got to, was ready to deliver a speech and would have totally delivered a speech that he'd pre-prepared, he doesn't get to do it. What a story of Connor being the forgotten older sibling. But what? Is there some measure of defamation that's going to go on here? Is he just going to say things attacking other people that they're going to immediately get sued for? I don't know what where Shiv's going for this, other than it was in a, a funny, effective line. Alright, I've got it. I've got, the, I've got the text here. Connor sent it over to me. You ready? 
Yep, read on, please. Okay, this is midway through, after a few non-sequiturs related mm-hmm. to Connor's childhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dad, you know, Dad, he really knew, he really knew how to pivot. He was such a good man to pivot away from things when he realized he was wrong. It's like that time they covered up all the rapes and cruises. Okay, no, 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 stop, please. He pivoted away from that really well. He knew that he was wrong when he covered up all those rapes and cruises. And man, I really, I really support him for that. Yeah, Dad, he was a loving man. You know, he kept he kept friends close, like Mo, like Mo Lester, a guy that sincerely abused everyone else, but Dad was loyal to him to the bitter end. Maybe, maybe Connor is that unhinged that he thinks that fits well into this speech. You know, Dad, Dad didn't mind sharing information, helping out his fellow man from time to time. You know, it's like like how he would tell us before big moves in Waystar so we could dump stock. Like that was really cool <laughs> stuff that he would do. Connor did very well at Moe's funeral. Let's say that now. Epic speech. One of the best of all time. Conhead you are. I I think Shiv may be overselling this a bit, but also Connor, who the hell knows what he's going to say with his be afraid speech the other day. For a minute, standing there next to Kendall and he asked Kendall, who have you hit? Ken doesn't know what this means. Ken just looks at him like, go ahead. Tell me what you're thinking. Roman says, I think it's. Great that Minkin is a racist and won't let a dirty foreigner buy the company. But I still think we need to get the board and brass rallying around the old orphans here, don't you think? This ends yes. up not being a very bad idea, right? Because uh-huh. Roman Roman is planning for B, which he doesn't think is going to be necessary, but he's planning for, for plan B, and that ends up being necessary. Yeah, I mean, plan, I mean hell, it's even plan, plan C. Plan A was boost the stock price. They're still doing that. And also, you know, under, undermine Gojo with respect to the information about their subscribers. Plan B, political. But... Still, also, just get the board on your side. That informs the other two. You ultimately need the board to vote on this. Ken says, sure, sure, yeah, dude. Roman, oh, Marcia's looking chic. Yeah, me. She's a sexy funeral lady. If you're weirded out by that, wait till I have sex with her on Dad's coffin. So, again, all of these wildly inappropriate sex jokes, they're just hints to the audience that Roman hasn't dealt with this, and he's putting on a face, and that there is a there's something to collapse, right? There's not a foundation here. Everyone thinks of me this way. This is how I show I'm okay, is that I just dial up the creep factor so that no one else sees the pain that's underneath. Breadcrumbs in the writing. I love this show. Kendall just doesn't respond. Then we see Greg, and he's booking it on a bicycle. Spencer, was he crying? I thought he was crying. It's like, Marby's just very emotional, but the guy is flying down the streets trying to get to this wedding on time because, you know, it's probably really damn hard to get around with the protests and everything, you know, blocking the street access. That's right, yeah, because the, the democracy has ended. The, I mean, yeah, capitalism it, has it fallen. literally so. has shut down. I'm, I'm here for you, man. The country you believed in so much is falling. I'm here for you. You'll come to terms with it here soon. Here's a one-way ticket to Botswana. Kendall is talking to Shiv. <laughs> so fucking weird. Kendall wants to know if the eulogy is good. He did good. Shiv says, yeah, he, Roman, is on top of the world. Target rich environment. Glad handing the sad faces. Kendall says, oh man, so many fucking money changers in the temple. <laughs> Religious. There's, again, there are that's many a, ways to Jesus on the that's, show. That's a Jewish reference, right? Money changers in the temple. Man, that, that, that was uh, Jesus flipping over the tables of the, mo- the moneylenders in the temple. Maybe it's t- it's tying back into the biblical reference of them being, you know, anointed by God. Roman comes up to Frank for a seriously strange conversation. Roman says, hey, I know we've had our differences, but this day really puts it in perspective, right? This is kind of like talking to Spencer at like a wedding or a funeral because uh, you get this same kind of line like you got from Frank. Sure. <laughs> 
Sure. Life, life is, is short. short. We should all love each other. I've said that before. Yeah, in that tone, too. And then he just looks at Roman and just goes, go on. <laughs> like, I know I know you want to say something else, so just say it. That was The go on is what got me. That was funny. You're an odds man. I know you're, you're always doing bettings and probabilities. What was the chance, regardless of what Roman said, that Frank would ever be Team Roman? I think there's like a 5% chance if, if Roman started throwing out real big dollar figures. Because, you know... At the end of the day, Frank is there for the, Frank is there for the money. At the end of the day, but he doesn't. He certainly doesn't like Roman, and is never going to like Roman. He isn't like Roman from season one, episode one. He isn't like Roman from before the series started. Well, that's so how. Roman- that's why the story is so fucking rich because you have things like this that, like, there is this like multi year backstory of oh, yeah. when when Roman secondary character was in control of Waystar Studios and his ideas were shit and Frank was trying to tell him and they just fought constantly and like Logan had sent Frank to go take care of Roman and they just fought and fought and fought and this like super deep rich history just continues to bear out in the writing right yep quality stuff so Roman says okay well lovely chatting um and he takes off because basically what he said is like, "Hey, you going to support me if if Kendall can't handle this?" And, and Frank <laughs> no. just goes, "Hmm," and that's it. And Roman, is, when he hears the "hmm," he gets it. He says, "Okay, okay, okay." He takes off. In comes that, Mankin. That's an aggressive play on Roman's part. It's like he should know that Frank's kind of Kendall's guy. Like you've seen evidence that Frank's kind of Kendall's guy, and you're he's the guy you're starting with to make your own power play. What chance do you think he's not going to report back to Kendall? You just told him this. In comes Minkin. I wish I had the stone cold music. Yeah. The glass shattering. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you did at the wedding. <laughs> I did have some wrestling music before my speech at the wedding. That was pretty cool. Greg then uh, gets in and greets Roman. Sad day, sad, sad day. So Minkin, right there. Rome says he's aware. I am aware that the potential future president has just walked into our church. Uh, Greg mm-hmm. asks if Roman can get him an intro. Rome does not take that seriously. And again, I think it's more... More little breadcrumbs that they need to be taking him more seriously. Greg says, "I never have, never will." I'm, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm amongst the crowning committee. <laughs> Might not want to call it that. I mean, it, 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 he's trying to be Tom. He's trying to like, okay, I was part of this. This is a position to power. That's the guy that's going to have all the power. I should market myself as being integral to that decision. Rum says, "Right, okay, uh, yeah, well, maybe later." Rum tells him to get on. You and watch. He wants to speak. Unfortunately, there was no time, and he does a jerk off gesture. So he starts unfurling a banner or singing union songs. <laughs> uh, this was foolish on their part to think that Ewan wouldn't find a way to get on that stage. But if he had to actively beat people with his cane, Ewan was going to get on stage. The Greg thing, was not the guy to ward him on this. The only thing you can do in that situation, because you're not going to physically stop a 90 year old man from standing up and doing something, you cut the mic. Because he's mm-hmm. not, he's, he's old, he can't project that loud. If the whole church, you cut his mic, he has to sit down. I think that's what you do. Uh, maybe, but I think, I, I think you and stubborn enough, you even stand up there for it. I think the mo- moment the guy walked into this church, he was going to give a speech or play some role in getting his view across. How do you feel like giving speeches at funerals? Are you, are you going to, you're going to do this for people like, you know, some of the older people in your family, any friends that passed away? Would you be the guy, you know, it's Andrew, like a specific one, but would you be the guy that would say, you know what, I do think I want to say a few words? Or are you the guy that just goes, yeah, he knew how, he knew how I felt about him. I don't have to say it in front of this group. I only, if it's only if it's like I'm, running the funeral. If it's like my parents, I would feel obliged to do it because I'm effectively, you know, captaining the event in some shape or form. Otherwise, just, I'm at a funeral, I should say some words, nah. 
nope, not going to do it. I'm more, I'm more in the camp that I might, I might do it. Part of the problem with me is that like I, there, there's probably groups that would expect me to do it. And so I would have kind of a, the, that tension there. Um, but if I'm not expected to do it, nobody's asked me to. It's un- probably unlikely. I'm going to stand up there and say anything. It's pretty, pretty, un- pretty unlikely. Well, well, in the 40 years of life that you'll have after me, as we damn well know, I'm expecting you to say something at my funeral. Pithy. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, he he quit before seasonal rut. <laughs> Top of the game. Top of the game. Excellent <laughs> on a die point. So we saw this with Shiv last episode, too. Craig wants to deal. He's trying to deal. He says, look, if I will stop you from getting up there if you get me some time. With Megan. Wheeling and dealing. And Rome basically just lies to him and goes, yeah, yeah whatever, sure, whatever. Yeah. And then Greg says, all right, nice trade. Uh, yeah, Greg thinks he negotiated a business deal here. But at least credit to Greg that he's always, that he's making moves. He's thinking about what his advantage is at any point. This is the Jerry advice. You make a decision, you make a move, thinking how it benefits me. Yeah, and in this world, I can't, I can't argue with that logic at all. Uh, Frank walks up to Carl, Jerry, and Carolina. I got to say. Uh, the actress plays Carolina. Her name is like Dominica something. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, um, that I believe her first name is that Dominica something. But anyway, pound for pound, funniest person in this show, this episode. Really, her facial expressions fucking rocked me a few times. This is one of them because Jerry just says, "How much of you is glad?" And Carolina gives this <laughs> look. It's like. We are in public. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Carl, who can handle anything, just goes, well, we had our fights. But, you know, I miss him. Jerry calls it Stockholm Syndrome. Cross with a little bit of China Syndrome. She is funny. Carolina does not want to be in this conversation at all. She actually mm. she actually hits Jerry with the program when Jerry says that. Like, stop it. Very funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Carolina, the media person, she's always going to be imminently aware of what the message is, whatever else. Jerry's... She's done. It's like I'm not. I don't need to carry this water anymore. I'm just going to speak my mind. And yeah, I think she thinks she's leaving the company, and she yeah. she's she, you know she's obviously not working for Logan anymore. So she's willing to say whatever she thinks. But I, I just don't. I also think their personalities are just different. Like even if Carolina was on her way out, I just don't think she's the type of personality who would say, you know, I uh, I'm out. I, I just sent you the name. Can you pronounce that for me? Oh yeah, uh, Dagmara Dominzinski. I think that's actually pretty on point. Well done. Yeah, that's uh, she's wonderful, and her facial yeah. expressions are fucking great. This entire episode, she makes me laugh multiple times. Um, so, cut to Chef, who says, "Here she comes." Thought I could hear the sound of Dalmatians howling. <laughs> Cruella de Vil, Cruella de Vil. <laughs> and they see their mother walk up to the music. She's got the Cruella de Vil music. Chef asks if they are freezing her out. Kendall says, I don't know. One down might be nice in case she drops dead of a broken heart. They, oh. la- they laugh at that. Oh. And, Shiv says, and then Ken, Ken continues, piles on, or not having a heart. You notice that Ken isn't into a lot of the petty conversation Except this mom. episode. But Except he, his mom. He's friendly to take some shots at his mom. He really is. Hey. I mean, hey, hey, we saw, we, we, well, was it season two of two. when, you know. He was when, trying to tell her a secret and she left. That was one of the roughest scenes in the entire damn show. Like, I, Ken, say what you need to say, man. I'm with you on this. She walks up, hugs Ken, then hugs Shiv. Awkward silence. She looks at Shiv and goes, oh, oh, are you, oh, okay. She d- yes. Doesn't need to be told. She reads it Blimey. immediately. Well, I, there's, there's some starts and stops here. That might be as mean as full sentences. Oh, God. Because yeah. she says, blimey, while I never. I, the I never's the worst. 
Well, then you... Well, well. It's like, she can't even just fake the human thing of just saying, Congratulations, I'm so excited for you. You know, what, what are your plans? Blah, blah, blah. Anything. Anything at all. She can't do it. She can't. She can't human on command. Caroline says, exactly. We can go into this later, but didn't think to let me know. Shiv was ready for this one. Before she got let me know out of her mouth, Shiv had started the sentence. Oh, I have to be careful with the information I gave you because you might use it against me. <laughs> Call back to the end of season three. Familial relations here, you know. And, uh, this is her altering the uh, trust agreement, screwing them over in terms of their plans against Logan. And the end of season three, yeah, when, yeah. when she when she she yeah, became a player via the trust agreement. Um, Carolyn uh, hugs Roman, calls him sweet boy. Notice she doesn't. She says no such condescending thing to Kendall. Right? Mm-hmm. Roman is a sweet boy. Kendall is hey hi how you doing? Like and Shiv is daggers. Uh huh. She looks over at Peter and he's and she Look, says Pe- Peter's here to save the conversation. Peter's incredibly excited. I think he's brought his autograph book. Peter walks up, hugs them all. Daddy's here. Get all. It's mine. I'm taking it. Daddy's here. I was going to say, here's what I was going to say before you dropped out. I was going to say, everyone be prepared to cringe. That is so cringy. Daddy's here. We didn't get a chance to prepare. Neither does our audience. Daddy's here. Man, Shiv Shiv laughs nervously and Kendall completely ignores it. He says, sorry for your loss. Kendall just says, thanks, Peter. Not dad, Peter. Mm-hmm. Shiv clearly not giving a fuck. In the, I, Shiv is so fucking funny, man. Yes, she is. I would love to hang out with her. She goes, he spoke of you often. One of his favorites. <laughs> Peter, and Peter doesn't even, I don't think, picks up the sarcasm. Uh-uh. He seems like he actually appreciates it. Uh, he does. And, and, and it's like, you know, I think that Caroline has this sort of, I can make fun of him, but you can't make fun of him type of thing with Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've seen her be protective in weird situations with him uh, when they were at the wedding, uh, his wed- the wedding with him in season three. But she will make fun of him when he's not around, right? Because like when this is happening, you can see her start to get uncomfortable because yeah. Shiv is making fun of him to his face. He doesn't get it. And Caroline does get it. Mm-hmm. And it has Roman laughing. Peter says, I'm just doing, I'm just going to, will, will you excuse me one second? He's off with his autograph book. Off he walks. To, to the who's who of the world that are Carol, here for the funeral. Caroline says he's now going to go roll around like a Labrador in a lovely pile of senators. <laughs> Good line. Shiv, how respectful. Shiv walks back to the back of the church where Matson is. Ah, oh, Matson has made it. Guess he wore what? a suit. He wore in, a suit. And they're in tow with Oscar and Eva. She says, so the number of pieces are starting to come out. She points out there is no significant blowback. And he says, so far, gold star for the Red Devil. Good job. I, I, again, I was legitimately surprised he went forward with it. He does. I, I don't think he still fully acknowledges how important a move this is that she did. But he's at least giving her a badge here. I feel like this line is just... it. it it illustrates how clueless he is. Yes. And he acts like this was just a, a standard little thing that happened. Yeah, yeah well done. Yes, you, that was good advice. Moving on. It's like, dude, she just saved your company, the deal, your potential future as a billionaire. This was huge. But I don't think he gets it, and that's going to play in later. Madsen then asks a question that you just don't expect to be asked in a serious tone in Say 2023. The is the Nazi over there? Going to win. And if he does, ironically, would it be bad for a tall, blonde, white guy? We we were laughing. We were straight laughing in the room. We were watching that line. Shiv calls the whole thing unimaginable. She says she has an idea. If it would come through for Minkin, and she pulls him off to the side, 
basically like, hey, if Winken wins, I've got an idea. And this is when she pitches the idea of a U.S.-based CEO. So the idea here, so her idea here is that if Minken is going to block this, he's going to do it through what they've been terming regulatory. So what he means by that, what they mean by that is that Minken would say that having a foreign interest by, by a company that has two different attributes. One is currently publicly traded in a U.S. stock exchange, meaning there's an awful lot of shareholders who are U.S., right? So he'd be buying that. And then the second, probably more important aspect, is that he'd be buying a lot of U.S. media. And some, my understanding, is that in that bundle would be some pure broadcast television stations. So things that come on when you put the rabbit ears on your television, right? Mm -hmm. And foreign control of that is something they might get in and muck around and regulate. And what she's saying is, well, offer the whole operation to be run with a U.S. CEO and then maybe they, they would have less concerns from a regulatory perspective about foreign ownership. It's smart. I, I gotta I, say, it's a smart idea. It's a very smart idea. It also feeds in, I mean, we, we heard, like, um, Matson say before, you wanted to kind of like Bloomberg the news, make it more gray, move away from the existing demographics, whatever, whatever else. That, if Minkin picks up on that, he's gonna be horrified about it, given the basis of support he has through ATM. So, removing that love, that influence from the situation, giving it U.S. control, Shiv is just, it's her political background, I'm sure, but she's just remarkable in terms of being able to roll with the punches. She's been beat to the curb several times in the last few episodes, and here she comes with a legitimately clever way of spinning their situation to their advantage. And, like, the position title is extremely important, right? Because Mm -hmm. this isn't U.S. branch manager, U.S. division manager. Independence attached to this. It's U.S. CEO, which indicates to me, in all likelihood, they would be creating what amounts to like a subsidiary or a yeah. complete, a separate company under the broader umbrella of Gojo that Shiv would have unilateral control over to operate from an operations perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a much bigger than Shiv run Gojo's U.S. operations. It's a, it's a much bigger deal than that. Madsen, then straight up ask her, well, who could do that? And she just says, Shiv Roy. He's just very inexperienced. This, this is always the knock on Shiv. We've done it on this podcast before. She has never actually Everyone worked. Everyone has. She's never actually worked for this company before. She mm-hmm. then gives an example of the scuttlebutt. Shout out to Ted Lasso. My butt does like a little scuttle. They mm-hmm. could generate that the sad Swede is really pulling the strings anyway. So he chuckles at that. That she would be, she'd basically, she, what she's promising here in her little Shivy way of doing it is, Make me the U.S. based CEO, and then I would put feelers out there and make sure the message got out that I was you. nothing but a puppet for you, right? Mm-hmm. And do we think for a fucking second if she got placed in U.S. CEO of Gojo's U.S. operations, she would do this? Do you do you no. think she would do this? God no, she'd be running. She, she she would be trumpeting her own power and running her own company. Yeah. So he says here she's pregnant. Is that true? Shiv then says something that I got to say, a lot of shit on the show makes me really sad. This makes me incredibly depressed that she you, has to say this. You actually just said out, I think you actually said out loud during when you were watching this, that is so sad. It's so terribly sad that she feels like she has to say this. That this is the measuring stick for if a woman who is pregnant can have a job, keep a job, continue to be respected and valued in their current job, like that she has to say this shit, which is she's one of those hard bitches who's going to do what thirty six hours of maternity leave, emailing through her vanity secession. Poor kid will never see her. A hard ass. It's like I, I, it's one of the things where Matt, 
are we correct that when Matson said that, he meant that as a slight? It's like, oh, you, well, you won't be able to do this because you're you're, you're pregnant. And so, yes. she ha- so she felt the need to respond in that yes. way to try to dismiss this attack on the basis of her maternity. Yes, he was going to, which is against the law. Like not, he cares. He was going to exclude her from consideration for a job solely on the basis that she was pregnant, which is against the law in the United States. And she, not being able to call him on that because of the world they live in, mm-hmm. then has to, to hyper swing that way. Yeah, and what? But what she's describing is extremely unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, this would be like, um, well, Spencer, I don't know if you're up for the job, and you being like, well, you know, I will, I will shoot straight heroin every day for four weeks in preparation for my first day <laughs> on the job. It's like, well, wait Got a second, it. that's not a good healthy thing to do. To keep you in consideration for the job. It's just, it's so depressing well, all the way around. I mean, it's one of the things too. It's like, you know, all the kids have tried to be their own person. All the kids have tried to find their own way, their own way to be separate and live better and different than their father did. And what she's proposing is, oh, I need to create the same kind of multi-generational, non, non-supportive family trauma that I lived through for the sake of my own advancement. Done. Here it is. Schiff then describes herself in glowing terms as not widely liked. Matson asks, would he buy it? Talking about Minkin, because you two are very hady hady I hear. He asks her if she can get Matson to like her. Shiv gives a very confident, slightly annoyed yes. Matson asks if she can do an intro. Shiv, I can do any fucking thing. My dad just died. She, not hurting for confidence to any way. And also, spoilers... At least for now, you'd be a fool to trust Minkin as far as you can throw him. She gets the invite and she gets the potential. Seems that way. And then Roman comes over and says, he's here, the headline act, showtime, you coming? Thanks for coming to Madsen. Then we see the, the first, the Hurst roll up and it's go time. Mm-hmm. And Caroline. Which, you guys mocked me in the moment because that car pulled up a very obvious hearse and I commented, oh, who's that? Yeah, you did ask who, who's that, and it, your girlfriend was laughing too loud to catch what I said because I just I didn't I actually I actually didn't laugh or anything. I just said, "Oh, it's Logan," <laughs> but you didn't catch arrived. it. You didn't catch it. Late for his own funeral. And Caroline goes up to Carrie and says, "Why don't you come sit with us in our room?" Oh. So you know, like oh. those you know those shots in sports of the bench or the fans falling out when somebody yeah, gets like a crazy miracle shot. Yeah. That's what we did in the room. We were like, we "What?" Were, we were freaking the hell out. It's like, "Oh my god, what is she doing? What is happening?" She's grabbing Jerry by the Carrie by the arm and pulling her to the front of the of the ceremony. What's going on? So here is how stupid I am. Not stupid, but this is this is how wrong I was. I thought she was doing this to be mean to Marsha. Mm-hmm. I thought this was fuck Marsha. I'm gonna Straight I'm gonna do this. But, there with you. but instead It's profound. It seems to me that what she was doing was getting a group of women together who only could the, the only people who would understand, understand the experience was each other to collectively mourn and it seemed to work. So let's go through it. Please. So Carrie's like, is that okay? She goes, absolutely. Carolyn asks, is with her? She brought her brother and she brought a lawyer. Spencer approves of this. 100%. Uh, Bring your lawyers to funerals, people. Please. Yeah, yeah. Please. please. And the, and what? And the wake too? And then back to the house after all billable hours. Absolutely, right? people. Always have your lawyer physically present and on his hourly with you at all times. 
She said she was worried about access issues, which honestly she should have worried about that. <laughs> Caroline, <laughs> Caroline says she's letting everybody in. Yeah, I mean, because that's the weird thing about funerals is that like this is obviously a very who's who event, but most funerals are supposed to be like. I mean, it's, it's commonplace in America for funerals to be open, right? Anybody yes. to come who wants to come. Caroline says she's feel open. Caroline says she's ready to steal Carrie away. Caroline asks if she's okay, and Carrie says yes, but she shakes when she says yes. Yeah. Caroline then asks, "Have then the does, two of them ever met? They seem to know who each other are, but we've never seen them meet on the show or anything like that." We heard Caroline make a reference to Carrie to the kids. When she says, oh, I know, I've heard that he has like a new piece of ass, basically. Yeah, yeah. So she knows of her, but we've never seen the two in a room. She gotcha. describes Sally Ann as my Carrie, so to speak. Uh, and just, just a degree of fun casting, uh, the actress who plays Sally Ann is Nicole Anzari Cox. That's Brian Cox's real wife. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> fun joke casting. Um, so she's, she's telling Marsha. That Sally Ann, she's making an introduction between Marsha and Sally Ann, is her Carrie. And she says, so it's all wander under the bridge now. And she then directs all the ladies to sit in the same pew. And against At the all, front. against all fucking odds, Marsha agrees to this. She actually leaves her family to come sit in the pew with the rest of these ladies. My question to you, Spencer. Do you think, quote, she was my Carrie is the thing that softened Marsha? Or think- do you think it's the what I can only describe is God honest mourning from Carrie that Logan is dying. Or is dead. I, I think it's, I think it has to be a certain element too. I think the, this was my Carrie. It, it, it's establishing a certain olive branch. It's establishing a certain connection that gets in the door, but also to see that Carrie's not trying to pull shit. She's not trying to make a move. She's just legitimately sad and they all are in their own way. There is an immediate sisterhood there that resonates and plays out. And it's, legitimately beautiful i did had no thought at all the show would be going in this direction but it was such a surprising little swerve it's something because i think that she was also setting an example for marcia she was saying look sally ann and i we, we get, found we, a way we, we found a way we got along right like you don't have to hate carrie and then when she sees carrie actually mourning and then you know she marcia who is actually seems in pretty good mood here um Caroline says, God, God, Logan would hate this. And Marsha goes, at least he won't grind his teeth tonight. A nice little they inside all, joke for all of them. they all laugh. They all smile. They all laugh. But Carrie laughs and then seemingly against her will, she's trying to hold it in, does start to sob a little. And Marsha grabs her hand and holds it. And holy shit, I fell out. I faded. You had to wake me up with smelling salts. It, it was shocking. It was surprising. It, I had no idea they'd be going in that direction. And I wouldn't. I didn't expect how much I'd be affected by I this. loved it. I loved it. Absolutely One of those moments it. In, the, in a great episode. I hope, it probably is it because it's succession and everybody sucks. I hope that there's a little bit of a, like, in the next, say, three months, two or three conversations between Carrie and Marsha oh, where they uh, bond. You, you know what they're going to do? They're going to create a little Discord server with each other and they're going to talk on that. Oh, like so they're not going to like each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're going to Discord they're gonna, they're gonna, through gonna, the Discord. Discord hate each other makes Roman sexually attractive. Okay. Uh, Greg. <laughs> okay, dude. Oh, God. Roman, if Roman hadn't collapsed this episode, seeing the four of them together, just, you know, his dad's wifing and mistress thing all together, I don't know if you'd be able to keep it in. Uh, that's a hell of a legacy in the front row to just have a whole ton of women that you've, like, at some point had romantic relationships with, all sitting together, all acknowledging can, each other. Can you, <clears throat> it's like can you Ragnar. Imagine, 
the, the journalist that was ready and was able to get in place and take a picture of all four of them together in the front pew at Logan's funeral. God, that guy made some money on that picture. Yeah, would it have been great if they also had the the other wife who has been committed, like there with her handler, like uh, with, the, with the guy oh, who oh, like, oh, puts her. Oh, 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 I'm also bl- blanking on the name of it, but who who was his mistress in like the part of season two? The 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 woman that was also trying to be like you know CEO of the company or whatever else that also then faded away in the same season with, uh, with respect to the cruises scandal. It's definitely more than four women. So, you know, uh, oh, if they were, God, if they yeah. were these are the ones it, right? that showed up. Greg says, okay, dude, Logan is boxed and ready to be delivered. Okay. So it's Amazon package. You can expect tomorrow. Tom then explains that there are delivery. fires in Baltimore. Darwin might resign online is peaking. Tom oh, says he'll be fires. here as soon as he fires, can. right? Fires, man. Fire in Baltimore. Uh, in Baltimore. Lightning on cue. Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. Right next to right. Basically Brooklyn, Baltimore, right? It's right next to, right next <laughs> yeah. to New York. So it's, it's all the Northeast. What do you want? Right. Because because every time there's a fire in Baltimore, we all freak out, right? Because that doesn't yes, happen. That, I've not, left the country on less. That's, that's not common. Tom says he'll be there as soon as he can, but tell them it was me. A much more pathetic version of the tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me line that HBO also gave us about five it, years ago. At what point did Tom decide he wasn't coming? Was he still actually hoping at this point he was going to be able to be there? I think when he told Greg, uh, save me a seat, he knew he wasn't going. Yeah. I, I think I think Tom actually kind of wanted to be there. I think Tom is legitimately just overwhelmed by the nature of his job right now. Greg says he'd like to know about front right. Uh, Tom just says, okay, it hangs up. Greg, I, I, Ironically, person who would most approve of Tom not being there? Logan, you worked through my funeral? Good on you. I think through this entire fucking thing. If Logan was able to give his opinion on everything, the only person that he would say he is he's approving of would be Tom. Because he wouldn't be approving of Kendall, he'd be threatened. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be approving of how shifts play on both sides, and he would think Roman is just a fucking disaster. Uh, or, or also Greg, you know. You know, continually amused by Greg. Yeah, the the Gojo US CEO. And Greg walks over to Lucas. <laughs> guess, how, guess how Lucas greets Greg? Warmly. Hey, sexy. He likes Greg. Greg. Best buddies. Best okay. buddies. Business partners. It's like the most friendly that Lucas is with anybody on the entire Waystar side is with Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg, in a serious – well, I shouldn't say that. He's, he's been pretty friendly with, Greg, with Shiv a few times. So it's it's the two of them. Greg, in serious mode, says, that is very kind. Shiv t- <laughs> Greg tells Shiv. Uh, I am honored by your consideration, my lord. He spoke to Tom, and it looks like he won't make it. Shiv just says, mm-hmm. Lucas tries to needle her about it, but Shiv says, hey, look, he's at work. There's a lot of fucking news today, okay? Greg mm-hmm. says there is a wheel free. Caroline speaks up. Peter can take a wheel. Peter, do you need a spare pair of hands? Greg starts mumbling and bumbling and fumbling. Shiv, scoffing, looks at Greg, says yes, looks at Peter, and says a definitive no. Another laugh out moment of the episode for us. Just uh, Shiv is just like done. It's like no, yes, go done. It, it was great when she looks at Greg. Yes, Peter, absolutely not. Cuts <laughs> them taking the casket inside. Somber music is playing. They sit the casket down. They cover it, and the cardinal says, "Please stand." And we get the Catholic procession toward the altar. Have you been to Catholic funeral before, Spencer? No, actually, I've been. To, I've been. To, we talked about this. I've been to Catholic weddings, but I, I don't think I've ever actually been to a full-on formal Catholic funeral in this kind of way. I've been to one, and this procession with the cross is a thing. It's a thing oh. they do. Kindles contemplative music fades. Then the violinists play Vivaldi's La Inquidatune. I'm I so glad you were pronouncing things. I would have never made it. Inquidatine, Inquidatine, maybe Inquidatine. Sure. A good song for a funeral, Spencer question for you and i'll answer the same question what song okay. 
do you want played at your funeral? Now, remember, this is going to go out into the interwebs, going to be saved for posterity for the ages. The millions and millions of people will hear it. Uh, what song do you want played at your funeral? You answer because actually I'm struggling on the name. There is a song. Uh, mine, I'm, mine is a uh, mine's codified. It's everywhere. It's in it's in all kinds of things. My wife knows it. My friends know it. I'd like everybody here to know it at my funeral. I'd like one song to be played. I want it to be the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. Well done. I'll I'll I'll, I'll do something. I'll, I'll, I'll do something for strings for right now. But uh, Adiago for strings. One of my favorite classic uh, cl- classical music soundtracks. I, I I have that song played at some point. Whatever else, and people that know me will appreciate. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I've always wanted the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony, and I want the whole thing. It's a great song. And I'll tell you this. Song. I think I think when because you you know the, the way the world works is you you may end up at my funeral against all odds, and <laughs> spite my best efforts, and like. It's the type of thing where I think the song will start to play and people will go, oh, what a good choice. This is, and people will start crying. But what they don't realize is the song's five and a half minutes and they're just going to get sick of it about minute four. Oh, sorry. Revised choice though. Inagata DeVita, the full length song I want it played. Inagata DeVita. Yeah, I'll be great. So they walk the casket up. They pass Mats and they pass Mink and they start the ceremony. Please be seated for a word from those who knew and loved Logan best. You would make some move. Greg tries to stop him. He says, you're making a scene, Grandpa. I'm not making a scene. Greg, you are. Ship tries to tell him no. He says, thank you. I'm going to speak. Roman looks at Greg, says thanks, like he's really disappointed in him. So I am going to, you asked, kind of implicitly asked how I was going to do these speeches. I'm going to, I'm going to say a good amount of them mm-hmm. and then we'll, and then we'll talk about each one after I'm done. So I'm going to, I'm going to, done. I'm going to go through it. I will probably recount maybe about 50% of it as I go. Okay. And then we'll talk about it. So he starts to say, the wonder, he starts out wonderfully. It is not for me to judge my brother, even though he later judges him harshly. History will tell that story. I can give you a couple of instances about him. You probably all know we came across the first time during the war, World War II, for our safety. So he tells a story about how they told the children that if they spoke or coughed or moved, that the U-boats would catch the vibrations through the hull. Can you imagine how terrifying this would be for children? For days, they're in this boat and they're told, they're told that even coughing would get them exploded. Unbelievably and, traumatic. And they were basically left to die. I mean, they were left out of a convoy in World War II. They were a lone ship going through the ocean. They are just easy pickings, pondering their lives in the, possibly the last moments. I was really hoping that Ewan would explain the marks on Logan's back that we saw that one time. But we don't, we don't, I think it looks like we're yeah. never going to get an explanation about what well, that is. Well, I mean, the implication is the uncle that he references here, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, and he says, once we were over, our uncle, who was, so to speak, a character, they had a little money, they sent Logan away to a better school, and he hated it. Says he hated it, he hated it, but when he got back, our little sister, she was a baby, but she was, winded up, she had polio, and he thought that he had given, the, he had brought the polio with him, and no one did anything to disabuse him of that notion. I love that we're learning that story with the characters because you look around the room and no one has heard these stories before. Nope. No, th- these are these are shocking to them. The kids are silenced by these tales about their dad they've never heard before. We, the audience, are the same way. He says, but I can't help but say he has wrought the most terrible things. Then he goes in hard. He was mm-hmm. a man who here and here, here and there, drawn in the edges of the world. Now and then, darkened the skies a little, fed the flames in men the hard, mean. Hard, relenting flame that keeps their hearts warm while others grow cold, their grain stashed while another goes hungry. And then he had the temerity, and ha- even has the temerity to tell that hard, funny, yes, funny, but hard joke about the man in the cold. 
and get a little high, a little mighty, but when you're, when you're warm. Oh yes, he gave away a few million of his billions, but he was not a generous man. He was mean. He, he made but a mean estimation of the world. He fed a certain kind of meagerness in men. And then he goes on to say that he possibly has that meagerness in him too, but he tries. He tries. I don't know when, but sometime he decided not to try anymore. And it was a terrible shame. God speed my brother and you and Stone. What did you think of that speech? I thought it was powerful. I, it was it, what's so effective about everything, everything's speech, but opening with Ewan is that it's completely a hundred percent true from Ewan's perspective and from the world in a way that no one in the room can deny. They don't Every, want to hear all it. Right of, now. All the speeches are true. Yeah, all of them are one hundred percent true. They're just they're encapsulating different aspects and different perspectives on the same man. It's beautiful. It's, the, the, watch the writers play this out from this from the, the different people offering truth of their own stories, their own experiences, their own view on Logan in a way that no one can deny. It's a it is an effective hell of a hazing of a speech to deliver in a funeral, and kudos to both you and James Cromwell for delivering it the way they did. I thought it was fantastic, and it was it was riveting watching all of these speeches. I was I was on the edge of my seat, particularly for you and. And Kendall, I felt like after Kendall set that tone, I had a sense that Shiv wasn't going to go in. I thought mm-hmm. hers would be a little bit more positive and it did play out that way. So I wasn't quite stressed. I was like, I was only stressed at like 80% for hers where it was like yeah. 110% for you and Kendall. But anyway, so you and done. What, and, uh, go ahead. I, I just love the sentiment too, is that it does convey, as they all do, a very complex understanding, even in their own heads, of the man. He does love his brother. He is going to miss his brother. He has regrets about their brother and shared experience about the brother that inform who he is. But he also can't deny the demon that his brother was in the world. I, I, I love, I've always loved the, the, the relationship on it. And that, this final little image into it here at the funeral. Yeah, you know, I, I've i always thought that in their relationship, maybe it's this, it's kind of the same way I feel, strangely enough, you can draw a parallel with like the Kendall and Rava relationship. I've always felt like Ewan was being portrayed and is considered by most of the fandom as this like truth teller in the face of Logan. He's also an asshole and also benefiting from it the same way. Yeah, I always thought he was kind of a hypocrite, right? Because he he lives in this massive house and he has millions of dollars because of Logan and he he he's not really willing to say, Well, job well done, you know, on taking care of all of us. He doesn't he doesn't say any of that. You know, and and the, the taking care of all of us concept was probably really important for Logan being an immigrant coming over with nothing being, you know, threatened. Mm, I I had to be this hard. Anyway, so Roman gets up and delivers a speech for the ages. He says, my, my father, Logan Roy, he was a great man. He was uh, in the sense of the word, fuck. Um, And he looks at the casket. He breaks. He motions for the other kids to come get him. I will say in the room, when we were watching this the first time, I believe you said, oh, Roman, oh, Roman, two or three times. I think it was like getting to all of us. I, I was affected. It it's was, like, it I, was, I really felt for him when he was up there. I mean, he is an asshole. Let it never be forgotten that Roman is a terrible person. The way almost everyone on the show is. I still could not feel anything other than human empathy for this person finally having the grief collapse upon him. Just... Pre-grieving, not a, not, not a thing, at least not particularly for this character. And it seems to be specifically – so here's the thing. We, and I believe – was it your girlfriend who pointed this out? Somebody pointed this out. That he did not go see Logan. Mm-hmm. 
at the airport, right? When when when, he, when Logan had Did, died and there was didn't get on the plane, so didn't he's not see seeing the body, and he <laughs> didn't did, did, didn't go like Connor to go see him in the morgue or anything like that. Didn't want pictures. Mm-hmm. Remember of seeing him dead. So when he, sees him, when he sees him in the box, I think it becomes real to him, and he realizes, "Oh shit, I haven't grieved at all." And he breaks, and he he asks the other kids to come up, and he says, "I can't do it." Shiv tells him to take a breath. She's actually trying to help him. Go through and it, yeah. Roman breaks down completely. World class acting by Kieran Culkin. He just breaks down in the way that you see people break down in in funerals. You see mm-hmm. that like. Oh, like that, I can't catch a breath type crying. And that's what he's got going on here. And he actually asked this, which is if this doesn't break your heart. I mean, we can all hate Roman, but my God, this is tough. He says, is he, is he in there? Shiv and Connor both say, yeah. And Roman says, can we get him out? It's like all of them had a very unique relationship with their dad. Romans was always kind of like the most unconditional, like still kind of seeing his father, like, you know, as a little kid looking up like a a hero, a towering figure, whatever else. And he's processing it in the same way here in this moment. He is a little kid just wanting his daddy and it's heartrending to watch it play out. So Kendall, he looks at Kendall and he says, I'm sorry. And Kendall just tells everybody there, I got it. I got it. I'll go do it. He's got a big brother. This. And Shiv tells Roman, uh, or, or Shiv, Shiv tells Kendall, you got to tell the other side. Yeah. Basically, you have to get we, somebody, one of the three of us has to give the other side of what you, you, what you and did can't be the only thing said at this funeral is right. basically what Shiv is saying. And I, I, I like that stance from her. I, I appreciate that. And I think Kendall walks it perfectly. He threads the needle of where you can't just deliver a Roman speech anymore. It wouldn't work. You can't just, you know, not acknowledge it. You've got to frame it. And he does that kind of framing of what it is to be great, of what it is to have power, of what it is to be a terror in the world by the nature of what you are and that influence. Geniusly done on the fly. I'll tell you this. I uh, Come at me. I know you're all going to come at me, and that's totally fine. I like, I like the engagement. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved the speech from Kendall. It was great. I thought it, it was, was fan great. fucking tastic because he, what he says is also true, right? Oh, he says it it's beautiful. He says there are many people out there who will tell you no, and there are a thousand reasons. I mean, there are always a thousand reasons not to not not to act, but he was never one of those. He had a vitality, a force, and it could hurt. It did, but my God. The sheer, the lives and the livings and the things that he made and the money. And he actually goes into it. He says, the money. Yeah. Which the room laughs at. They acknowledge. But then he gets serious and he basically says, money is the lifeblood of this entire society that we've built from the dirt. It's what keeps everything going. It's what motivates people. It's what leaves legacies. It's what creates families. It puts food on the table, et cetera, et cetera. And he understood the world in such a way that he was able to generate this money at massive levels, right? Um, of buildings he made stand, of ships, steel hulls, amusements, newspapers, shows, films, and life. Bloody complicated life. He made life happen. What a wonderful fucking line. He made life happen. He made me and my three siblings, and he says, yeah, he had a terrible force to him, a fierce ambition that could push you to the side. So that's Brooke Kindle acknowledging his relationship with Logan a little bit that had played out so publicly in the last few seasons. The people sitting there know there have been long periods of time where Kendall and Logan were on the outs with each other. So he acknowledges sure. that here. Uh, but he says, they, 
They played just, karaoke on the day before he died, sir. Come on. Oh, yeah, they were fine. We, we actually met the day before. It's wonderful. Uh, the will to be seen and to do it. Now, people might want to tend and prune the memory of him to denigrate that force, speaking specifically to his uncle. That magnificent, awful force of him. But my God, I hope it's in me. Because if we can't match his, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. And there wasn't a room for the grandest stateroom. There wasn't a room from the grandest stateroom where his advice was sought to the lowest house where his news played, where he couldn't walk in and wasn't comfortable. He was comfortable with this world and he knew it and he liked it. And I say amen to that. What a fucking speech. On the fly. He improved this. He looked at Roman's notes, realized that wouldn't work, and he came up with something. And it is, it's as much truth as what Ewan offered. It is as much what the room and the world saw of this man and what he accomplished and what Kindle feels about his legacy and what role he wants to play in it. It is as much truth as anything else we hear today, as perspective-based, as vile, as whatever else. It is another account of the man that has no less of a tinge of accuracy attached to it. It's, it, it's a, the genius of the show, the writing of the show, that they can make three people offer these completely different characters on a single character. Where all we, the audience, have these kind of similar complex views on this character, and they can all have a grain of truth to them. That's just well done building up of a character and well done writing. I, I just appreciated that that concept that he, he's talking about Logan, saying Logan was comfortable. In the, in these big state mm-hmm. rooms where all these decisions are being made and it's in the lowest, like sort of like, you know, lo- like lower class working family who was consuming his news. He was comfortable everywhere. But in doing, in, in telling that little story, he also implicitly explains to the audience that Logan had an effect everywhere from the yes. rich to the poor all over. He was affecting lives everywhere. And that's that's really powerful. I thought it was really good. So then Shiv stands up to speak. And uh, notably the audience applauds Kendall's speech. Yeah. Straight up applaud. This is the one that resonates with the room of people that are here. This is the more of the, you know, marketing pitch of Logan kind of thing. There was no cheering after Ewan's speech. No. Um, there, it wasn't any booing or anything else. There was a processing. Uh so she stands up. And I thought she was gonna fuck it right to start with, because she's had a struggles to get her feet. Mm-hmm. But she does get rolling, and when she does, she tells a story. She tells kind of like a sort of a general story about how they would play as kids, and he not only didn't play, he would come out and tell them, be quiet, and silence, and you could hear mm-hmm. Logan saying that, right? And they couldn't conceive of what he was doing. How important it was. He kept us outside, but he kept everyone outside, and when he lets you in, when the sun shone, it was warm. Yeah, it really was. It was warm in the light, but it was hard to be his daughter. And then she says something, and they cut to Carolina and Jerry when they sit say next it. to each other. Yeah, and both of them have a reaction to this. She goes, "He was. It, it was. Oh, he. He was hard on women. You know, he couldn't. He couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. What do you think she means by that? He couldn't fit a whole woman in his head. He, he couldn't ever. I don't, I, he couldn't see a full person. He couldn't see a complexity. He only could offer a certain facade or picture a part of a woman." He couldn't see a full person. He could only have a perspective on, on them, it seems almost like. At least that was my read on the line. What'd you think? I, I thought it was he couldn't get past his embedded sexism to sure. see that, to see the whole person that was there. But she's not willing to – while that's true and she felt need the need to say it. Mm-hmm. She couldn't leave it there, so she just says this. Which, by the way, if somebody says this at my funeral, I'll be I'll be happy. I'll go into the ether, pleased. 
You did okay. You did okay, Dad. We're all here. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. So goodbye, my dear, dear world of a father. In a world of where James Cromwell was delivering a speech at a funeral, it's Shiv that says, that'll do, pig. That'll do about this. Still, it's, it's, a, hell, it's a hell of a moment. <laughs> what a wonderful call out. Because that is kind of what she does. She's yeah. mostly, She says, look, you kind of fucked it with how you dealt with women. But you know what, Dad? You're you okay. Right. We're okay. Goodbye. And- I'm, straight, I'm straight there with you. If people feel that at my funeral is that you did okay. We're okay. I'll miss you. Goodbye. I've done it. I've done it. I'm, enough. I'm, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. I'll take it. I will, I will go off into whatever pleased if I can get that said about me. I think that's a wonderful thing to end it on. And they, they allow that to be the end. They lead everybody out. Kendall goes first. Notice Colin crying. Kendall thanks everyone and specifically thanks Justin. If you notice, Kendall is the one standing there greeting everyone, kind of like the preacher after Sunday services. He's standing at the door saying, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. He's playing that role. Why does Colin being emotional affect me so much? Like Colin crying was like a, 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 a gut punch on an episode of gut punches right there. I think it's because you, I think it's because we know that Colin wouldn't, there's no other situation that would make him cry. Yeah. He, he actually did lose his buddy. Yeah. Hugo, and, and I think it might have been fucking Logan's only friend because he, yeah. in his last day, Logan over We're dinner, having diner food with each other, over dinner says, you're my best pal. Yeah, and 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 Colin looked touched by that, and we're seeing it here. It's like, no, they were, you know, this is that kind of mixing of things of where Colin wasn't going to leave Logan the way that Jess is planning on leaving Kendall. So Hugo gives Ken the story from Eba that Shiv is floating the idea of a U.S. CEO to placate Minkin. Uh, Matson's ship more leaky than the Titanic. Unbelievable! Dear Christ, like it, it didn't make it out of the room. It, it, what is this? Five? No, we'll say ten minutes removed from when they even you know, had that conversation. So leaky. They all arrive grade side, or at least the side of the mausoleum. Kendall comments that it's ugly, and it is ugly. But Connor, I love this. Is so. There's these little Connor moments, and I, I want you to. I want you to talk about it. Yeah. Tell, tell me why this is fucking charming. That Connor it, is the one that knows this story. Con, Connor's always been, you know the. Connor's been that category of sibling that's old enough that he's been kind of semi-parented to everybody. He's got connections into the family, knowledge about the family that have been Which, by the way, the guy who plays Connor is only 10 years younger than the guy who plays Logan. Now, they're they're in, on screen meant to be a little bit, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, they're, they're playing but, that up. But maybe 18, 20 years, and that's it. Yeah. It's like, he has been an adult. He has been able to see that perspective on adult things far more and far longer than any of his siblings have. And it, it gives him an almost a weird parental role. He always always serves that kind of way. And so him in this moment, knowing this story, telling them the story about their dad, and also seemingly intentionally trying to make them laugh about it, was a touching little moment about this is Connor playing the role that Connor has for decades with respect to his sibling and with respect to, you know, his own role in the family. I a thousand percent agree. I just thought it was just I, It was charming. I, I like that there there was little hints that like Logan did appreciate that Roman could be funny. And yes. I think he also appreciated that Connor would get into the weeds with him on weird shit. Yeah. Like, he knows that 15 years ago or whenever this thing was bought, Kendall wasn't going to be interested in talking about the mausoleum he just purchased for $5 million. Connor, however, will sit and chat with you about that for the better part of an afternoon. And so he knows the story and he gives it all to the kids. Yeah, I, th- I think like the, the, the example of Connor's like probably also Logan was probably also into Napoleon. You know, Brian Cox also starred in, you know, Sharp and everything else. So yeah, of course, fits for the character. 
And then they probably shared that, and then Connor then took that to the degree of buying Napoleon's penis. That, that's just kind of how they would run. Is like they would actually share things, and you enjoy those things, and then Connor would just, because that's the only connection he has, far. take them to an 11. Yeah, so Pop sort of, I think he didn't want to go in the ground, and I think he didn't want to think about it too much, so I think he went in for the forwarded auction, and boom. Ship says, wow, cat food, Osmandius. <laughs> Was it a bidding war with Stalin and Liberace? I love the commentary they have cat on this food, place. Osmandius, he's really <laughs> funny. Ken looks at it and says, five mil? Good deal. It's just a funny thing. That was your biggest laugh out loud moment in the episode. You were just giggling for a few minutes after that. I just love how he just kind of like, yeah, good deal. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Five mil? Good deal. I I love it. Just changed their pick. They're all mocking at whatever else, and they just find out that it was legitimately a steal. Like, like, oh, yeah. Well done, Dad. Good job. Shiv Shiv jokes that it's a tax write-off because it's technically a residence. (laughs) They get inside. They're all looking at the fact it has space for more people. Ken says, you interested, Shiv? Oh, yeah, I uh, a chance to get to know him. Connor says he'll have to talk to Willie. He was crazy for cryogenics on brand. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't say no to a top bunk. You, Ken says, man, I don't know. I had trouble finishing a scotch with him. I love that line. I, th- it, I, I, I wrote down what I thought Roman said, but I think he said something like he made me breathe funny or something he did. like that in the he room. Just, he, by the way, Roman still – Roman is viewing him – he feels the failure right now. Yes. And so he's not even standing with it's the impressive. family. impressive. He can barely he's, breathe. He's standing away from the family in the doorway, and he goes, he made me breathe funny. Yeah. He's, so, he's trying to participate, but struggling to even be there. So I definitely don't want to spend all eternity with him. I'll, I'll take a mausoleum down the down the road here, <laughs> down the gravel <laughs> dirt roadway. Mm-hmm. They finish up the great stuff sir, sir, service. Shiv says, I'm intrigued to see how he gets out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> he found a way every other time. And notably, like we talked about, I don't see Rob or the kids there. Right? No, no. Just checking. Oh. Well, I, I, I guess what she meant is they would go to the mausoleum later. I don't think they were all planning to come today. I don't, I don't think, I think we're talking about two different things. A graveside service is not a memorial. A memorial is oh. done later. Is done later. Understood. Now I get and, it. And I think Logan was, and you could hear Logan saying this, I don't want two funerals, it's duplicative. Yeah. No, no, no. So I one. don't think they're going to have this like fancy formal thing later. I understand. Thank you. Anyway, they take the casket in and Ken, Roman, and Shiv are watching. Roman gets up and storms away saying it's too much leaving Ken and Shiv. And it's down to two. Shiv walks up to Carl and Frank. She says, Dad wasn't really... How bad was that? She seems to do this after watching Roman. After watching Roman just retreat to the car, she's going, uh, the way so many of them have, to try to get some degree of neutral view on somebody that knew their dad. And we get an attempt from Frank, same way as he, as he often had in terms of describing his own perspective and relationship with Logan. Well, it's just such consistency in the universe because we've always heard that Frank describes things in odd ways. Like, they'll, they'll say, yep. that's Frank for... So this is, I'll tell you what this is. This is Frank for, eh, he was okay. Yeah. He says, he was a salty dog, but he was a good egg. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's Frank for, meh, he's fine. You, when, what you saw was what you got. It's like, his perspective is, he was coarse, he was difficult, he was hard, but that was Logan. What you, the, 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 the Logan that he represented was the Logan he was. You're not going to find some secret key here. Well, Carl's the one who says, 
what you saw is what you okay. got. And what's interesting is that she says, okay, walks away. And then Carl actually looks for affirmation from Frank. He goes, right? Did yeah. I say the right thing kind of? And yeah. Frank gives it to him. Frank says, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. That was, that was right. Right. Be- so they're on the, they're, they're simpatico there. Be- best buddies want to see the spinoff of them on the Greek island. Absolutely. Do not pass them to get in a sauna. It's like Peking duck hanging <laughs> in the window. Marsha walks over to Shiv and asks if she's okay. She says, yes, Marsha, this is a potential line of the oh. episode. Spencer, Write it down, put a star by it. Mm-hmm. I loved him very much. I miss him very much. He broke my heart, and he broke your hearts too. Marcia is being magnanimous in a way we've never seen of her before. Ooh. With respect to this, she's actually, you know, not not. It is not. None of this feels like a play. This feels like though she's just actually going to be honest on this day about how she felt and how she knows other people went through here. Credit to you, Marcia. We're going to miss both you and your actress on this show. I think this is. I think she's. She's doing something that I strive to do at funerals. Like I always like when I go to a funeral, I strive to like try to keep my emotions in check. And I try to like be, be like always offer the sort of like steady hand to everybody yes. around. And like oftentimes that means I'm not grieving, which is like a whole nother thing of unhealthy behavior that I, I do. I, I, shall, but, I shall grieve my father tomorrow. But I try to hold it together for other people. And I guess don't you get the sense that Marsha's kind of doing that here? That yeah. she's like She's she sees herself as the rock that everybody else can lean on. Mm-hmm. Straight I mean, there even you. even fucking Carrie. I mean, it, she's it's it's a it's a very interesting move by this character. I, I loved I just loved how they portrayed I, her. I only complain about this character if you didn't get more time with her. I, I as brilliant as the show has been, the fact that she basically disappeared for two seasons of the show, I it, it hurt me. Connor walks over to Hugo, ask him how he is. Kendall says, "Come here, listen." I got something for you. I want you to brief me on background. Hugo says that I am the droid you are looking for. <laughs> Thank you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hugo, you're my help. kind of nerd. <laughs> Kendallman says that Matson acquisition doesn't have the support of key members of the family. But you don't say who. Matson's trying to steal the company for a song. Board is souring on the deal. The feeling is living plus, etc. Price story, post-election, ATN pumped. Undervalues waste our premiums too low. Hugo says, look, I got it. I understand what you, I understand the narrative you're, you're pushing for here. I got it. Scenario A. This was always the one that Kendall preferred and he's hitting it hard right here. Kendall says, you know, Lugo, and this is, there's a potential line of the episode in here too. Yes, there is. And I, I feel like I have to say the whole thing. Go I just on, fucking please. love it. You know, Hugo, life isn't nice. It's contingent. People who say they love you also fuck you. So this is an explicit plan to fuck the deal. Me rule the world and you can come, but it won't be a collaboration. You'll be my dog, but the scraps from the table will be millions, millions. Happy? Woof, woof. It's a powerful line. This is the, this is kind of like the moment where I feel like this could have been the end of the episode. This could have been, we've done with the funeral, we've done with the memorial, we've seen where these characters are going with respect to it, and then almost everything we see from here could have been in its own penultimate episode from here on after. You know, get, expand more, get a little bit more room to breathe. Because this is just such a conclu- like a climactic moment in this particular scene. I agree. I would have been okay with it ending here too. And maybe a, maybe an hour and a 45 minute finale. I don't know. Or maybe two episodes. I don't know. Sure. Um, so my question for you though, is Hugo a Jess replacement? He's either a is Jess. Hugo gonna, is Hugo going to be the body man now? Uh, he's either the Jess replacement or he's a Frank for, 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 for Kendall in, in place of Logan in terms of this, but he's marketing him as being, you're going to be the guy that I use for all this. And I'll manipulate you, I will use you, but you'll make a fortune in the process. Maybe it's a Jess, maybe it's a, a, a collection of gray hairs to join him on his panel in the future. But he's given him a potential seat at the table here to endure a lot of shit. 
We get very ominous music and Kendall walks back to the car, taking one last look back up at Logan and takes off. There we go. Exit scene, exit scene left for Logan. All right, that's it for Brian Cox. Let's, let's share. In the penultimate episode, like you, 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 I think you hit an interesting point here is that we lost him in episode three, but we, he hasn't exited the show until now. Yeah, and, and that feels like there's just not enough time without him. But anyway, we hear fireworks exploding, police running, then we see the wake, everyone's sitting around eating. Fireworks, nice... fireworks, explosions, you know, gunpowder in the streets. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, just shut the union down, okay? Uh, collapsing. Just, we're, we're, we're seeing the threads come apart, sir. Open borders. Everything's crazy. Uh, but you see that you do see the juxtaposition though with their super fancy wake and everybody sitting around feeling feeling fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see some pictures of Logan. Ken walks up to Colin. There he is. How you doing, big man? Struggling. He says, Visibly he's, struggling. He says, "I hear you're talking to a head shrinker." It's a couple things about this. One, I was enraged. That Colin, that people knew that for Colin. Like, if you, yeah. you should be allowed to get mental health services it's without every, fear. Every fear, right? Without, here. without fucking sheer of, without fear of people knowing about it and judging you for it. You should be able to go get help. Everyone should have that opportunity, no matter how uh, rich, poor, in the middle you are. Everybody should be able to have that. And I feel very strongly about that. That pissed me off. The second thing, though, is who are you to talk, Kendall? Just two episodes ago, you You've were got talking the about best you guys. You had the best grief guy ever. What are you? Who are you throwing stones? This is almost like what he was saying. Let's beat up. Let's beat up fucking Matson for his drug use. He's like, what a fucking hypocrite, dude. This is Kendall. This Kendall's lines here sound very Logan. This is very much Kendall acting Logan with respect to this. Yeah, it's bullshit. He's such a fucking hypocrite. And Kendall says, "Well, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid it's not. Uh, you know, confidential." He says, "It's cool. It's cool. cool. People, just people talk." And then he basically makes a play. He says, hey, why don't you come work for me? And I don't think that Colin gives him a solid answer here, does he? He kind of nods. He kind of offers that kind of noncommittal. He offers me saying, yes, I'm going to do something with you kind of thing in terms of responding to this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you can just sort of guess if 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 it's happening. Coin flip. Coin flip. Yeah. One could certainly interpret what he says here as, yeah, sure, I'm going to join you. But it's not. But he he says, I don't love it. He says, I don't love it. Like, I, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like mixed signals to me. I, I, I don't know. I feel like Kendall was trying to strong arm him into this because having, because Colin is the one that knows about the, the, the Chappaquiddick situation, right? So it yeah. would make a lot of sense to get, to get him on his side. Yeah. Also, Colin's um, just a competent dude to have with you too. And it's all part of continuing his father's legacy. It makes pure sense from Kendall's perspective to get this guy involved. I, I'm with you though. I don't think Colin's in yet. If he is yeah, he, eventually, but not yet. And he knows everything about Logan, too. So it's a good guy to keep quiet, right? So anyway, yeah. um, Hugo comes up to Kendall, tells him Minkin is there. Kendall walks up to greet him. Says, I guess, sort of congratulations, pinning a brutal jurisdictional yeah. giant fight, right? It, it, put put your perspective on the paper right now, sir. I thought you, you offered a brilliant comment here that this scene drips. Kendall does not like this man. No, it's like he he can't. So clearly what he's trying to do is go feel him out. Yeah. For Minkin stopping this with regulatory, right? Yeah. But he can't, even to the president elect, hold in his contempt because he gets fight, he gets fighting words right away. Cause he says, he, there's this thing about harvesting names and then, you know, Minkin's got a guy for names. And then by the way, that totally happens. A guy gets elected president. If you go up to them and start saying, Oh, you should hire so and so and so and so, he's going to say, talk to him, whatever. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to deal with names, right? Um, Kendall says, I, uh, I just want to know. You know, basically, since we have this shared vision, last night we had this shared vision, right? Like really calling out what ATN did for him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
saying he wants to uh, give his thoughts. And and Minkin says, I thought you were the sound system. Now you want to choose the track. Mm-hmm. If you Kendall had concerns, dial them up now. Kendall doesn't love that. And um, says, no, I mean, one-way traffic. Kendall asks him when he's going to drop something about his regulatory concerns. He says, I'll try to help. And then Kendall says, bows up and goes, try to help. And I think he's really going to get in his face about this right now. But Greg. Greg saves the day. Is that Greg's music? Greg, shout out. (laughs) Comes up. Kendall does not like being interrupted. He just says, Greg, like, Greg, stop this. Greg then goes on to say, Tom and I were proud to be pulling for you last night. But, oh, yeah, Tom called it. And I relayed the call. So he gets that in right before Roman. Best assistant ever. And if you wanted any proof. That Minkin was a just a big royal sack of shit. He looks at Roman and goes, "Hey, it's the Grim Weeper." Tiny tears. Kitty, you good? I, I like that. Kendall straight almost tells him to fuck off with respect to this. Kendall he doesn't. He doesn't ask. He says, "Be easy today, yeah." It's what Kendall's going to go hard on Roman later, but this is still him being the you know, as we so often have seen him being the big brother for someone trying to attack one of his family members. Now, my theory here is that Connor is Connor is kind of dumb. But he's not dumb enough to think that right now this guy wants to talk about his Slovenia ambassadorship appointment. I think he sees Roman as, or Kendall's about to swing on this guy. He's trying to break he, the conversation. He comes in to save it. Yeah, maybe, I think he's helping maybe. Kendall here. This is my, I try to think of Connor uh, in you, a better you, light than, than you, maybe he should be. And you call me a conhead. I do like Connor. I do have a soft spot for I, Connor. I do but as anyway. well. He's weird as all shit, but I like him. Yeah, he said, I, I said to you, Pan Habsburg, American Letty, you alternative. What would you say to me, Spencer? What would you say to him if he said Pan Habsburg, American Letty, you alternative? Huh? Those are what some words. You? Those are some words that I would like to unpack anywhere but here and now. Shiv comes up, calls him Mr. President, which I think is a problematic thing to call him at this point in time. Then calls herself uh, the extraction team and pulls him aside. Well, I think she purposely uses that because it gets his attention. Sure. Shiv says that. Okay, sure. I'm paying attention now. As they walk away, Kendall asks Roman, you know about Supermom's plan? Roman does not. So Roman is our, I mean, he has just fallen so behind this episode. Um, yeah, he he's not even being kept me. up to date about what Shiv is doing. Well, he doesn't have a Hugo. Doesn't have a Hugo. Doesn't have a Colin. Doesn't even have a Jess, even if she's exiting. He's got no support. Back to Shiv. She's saying maybe it's time to open up Big Tent this shit. Guess what? He doesn't want some motherfuckers in his tent. <laughs> no, not at all. This is not the who big you, tent party that's talking here. What do, you, what do you think those motherfuckers are he's talking about? Uh, well, a lot of people, I suspect, actually. If, if, if the read we get from the characters are accurate about his politics, it's a pretty exclusive tent that he would prefer to have. God knows. You, you just can't. You just zero fucking ability to, to put your flag in the ground. tape. <laughs> Yeah, that, that really goes along with people. Look, he, he's talking about people of color here. Is what he, he's talking. He's talking about, about, he's talking about people of color. He's yeah, not, he, see, he doesn't want see prior doesn't want Nazi brown discussion. And, doesn't want brown and black people in his tent. Doesn't need one. He's got a blonde, blue-eyed, tall guy right here, right now. Matson. Uh, then um, Kendall whispers. We see Matson, but then Kendall whispers to Hugo, "I need you to find out where this goes, how it lands." Okay, Hugo mm-hmm. walks off. Megan starts in with a wonderful joke. A blonde, brunette, a redhead walk into a bar, a liberal conservative, and what the, what is your policy exactly? Matson uh, says his policy is... Privacy, pussy, and pasta. A philosophy I can get behind. Minkin looks to Shiv to translate, because that's nonsense. And she says even more nonsense. Anarcho-capitalist Barbajana. <laughs> Please, make this a party now. I'm with you. 
So I think what, you know, how like when S, when a show gets a certain size, SNL starts to make fun of it. Mm. I feel like if SNL was going to like pull something to like make, to do a, like a over the top succession-y type thing. Stuff like this. This this type of thing. Privacy, pussy, pasta, anarcho-capitalist, parmigiana. Like just this Mad Libs crazy word vomit that happens Uh, sometimes in this show. I appreciate that Minkin, who is not otherwise one of the characters of this show, is just barely able to tolerate this conversation with respect to this. Like you don't talk like normal people, whatever. Lucas congratulates him. He's going to keep it brief. I won't waste our archives, sports, IP talent, all that stuff. Shift says, what would you want to talk about? Uh, what would reassure you with his ownership? Minkin just says the quiet part out loud and says, whatever our frictions, there was an ideological sympathy with her de- with your dad. So he, he just dismisses the, the, the concept that he would have a real genuine concern about foreign ownership of some of the broadcast no. channels. He just immediately says, Pure well, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who has an ideological sympathy with me. I, right? I, I'm looking for someone to provide a bullhorn of support for me when I need it and when I want it. So since we're on on threes, Shiv offers up the three things that her dad actually cared about. Money, winning, and gossip. <laughs> and these can help you, sir. Madsen then stutters that around the communication environment, we're in this place where we, we make this thing like everyone has, and like, no, nobody knows how it works. It's a long spiel of not successful stuff where Shiv's getting increasingly nervous next to him. Eventually, eventually, once we are, we have Matt, uh, Minkin straight up say, uh, you know, I got regulatory concerns, Lucas finally gets on the script that Shiv gave him. But it takes a minute. Yeah, I mean, like, when he was doing this in the room, I, I I like said out loud to you, I was like, he's he's fucking this. Like he's he's, he's a disaster. I think I said he's a disaster. Yes, you did. He's, he seemed fucking awful. Um, Minkin, who is really underwhelmed uh, by him, but I would also say that Minkin in this conversation really underwhelms me. Right? You would expect somebody just elected president to be fairly sharp in these discussions. Minkin does not seem to be particularly he, sharp. He, he seems to, be to fall pretty, asleep. He seems like a pretty straightforward fucking guy, which is just that he wants to scratch my back, you scratch, you know, mm-hmm. you scratch your back, you scratch mine type thing. But he finally gets to it. He says, well, you know, it's really all about regulatory framework, um, uh, CFIS considerations. So CFIS is, um, for those who don't know, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It's an interagency committee that was formed by Gerald Ford, uh, composed of nine cabinet members. It meets ad hoc and it, it, it comes together to talk about things exactly like this. Like, um, I did not know this. So something that like, it, it's like, if you want to like, you want to like be like the guy who like pretends to read the economist at the party, talk about all the foreign investment from China into Africa, right? That's a big sure. talking point among intellectual people, right? Like they love to talk about this where China is building a lot of things, so a, lot of, a lot of infrastructure stuff in Africa. And, you know, obviously the African countries will owe China money afterwards, right? Um, if China tried to do something like that in the United States, it would be Cephas that would stop it. It would be this committee <laughs> or, that or, would, that or would, Montana and TikTok. It would be these, it would be these, this committee in theory that would come together and say, uh, that, that is, that kind of affects American sovereignty if we allow that deal to go through. And they'll actually, they actually have, uh, there, there's a, there's a good bit of precedent for them to actually step into private situations and stop deals because it affects American sovereignty. So there you go, Cephas. Yeah. Lucas cuts him off to say the stuff he's interested in, he doesn't need to be deep inside of it on a day-to-day basis. So he, he, I'll give Lucas this. 
he realizes his earlier speech didn't land. He realizes so it didn't he land. He also realizes he's losing his audience real quick. So he finally returns to the script. So he says, maybe an American CEO that would help make things feel more, maybe culturally aligned. Megan says, ooh, and he looks yeah. right at Shiv. He, he reads this one quick. <laughs> Kinder Kutcher Kirchi over here. What I what, thought what, you, what I thought mean? you hated me. Uh, it, Google it. It's a, uh, it's fucking long. Um, okay. uh, but it's, it's not, it's not what you would expect a, uh, president elect to be referencing. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell the audience? The three K's, the German slogan translated as children, kitchen, church. Used in the German Empire to describe a woman's role in a, in society. Oh, right. shit. As he's looking at Shiv when he says it, right? So it's, it's like, and, it, and it's a mere, apparently a, a super loaded phrase in Germany. It's not, it's not something you would say in polite conversation. Okay. Uh, Shiv says, my dad was, my dad was flexible. I'm flexible. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. She, she's been trained to always throw that little hint of sexuality into everything, right? Yes. That element of flirtation. Because she says I'm flexible. She could use a lot of other phrases there, but flexible has a sexual connotation to some people. I think she plays on these things. Um, uh, I think, it, which it, I don't blame her for. I blame society for like, sort of like giving her positive reinforcement to do that. No, no it, it is an error that she have uses quite effectively. We've seen her do it consistently with respect to relationships over the course of the show. And, you know, I, I think she's perfectly willing to do so here. She says, my feel, he, you know, he, he basically looks at her and says, I thought you hated me. He says, my, she says, my feelings are irrelevant. She says her audience loves Jared, Jared Minkin, mm. and she respects her audience and I love your audience. He says, cut to the evening. Tom finally walks in. He looks tired. She comes up to Shiv. He says, look, you only stay for 20. It's getting a bit Tiananmeni out there. Look at this. Again, riots in the streets, freaking tanks driving down highways, sir. Are you not seeing the state of America? Yeah, everybody has to get out immediately. And, I, and and also, I did hear that everybody at the funeral died. So she she obviously made a, a really good decision. They were all obviously not safe. But luckily, there was a guy with bags. He blocked the tanks from getting in. I saw it. It happened. She just says, ballsy, whole new Tom. You would never have dared not to come to his funeral. I was still alive. Potential line of the episode here from Tom. Yeah, well, the thing about your dad, he's lost quite a bit of influence over the last few days. <laughs> I, uh, well, that's a fun statement because it's literally true. But also it isn't. We're seeing the influence still affect everyone around him. Well, he's saying not all, right? He said quite a bit. Yes. So I think he's still acknowledging there's some influence. Influence you yeah, can control. Yeah. So uh, Tom takes a drink. She takes one as well. And she's clearly trying Pointedly. to hurt him. Pointedly um, takes the drink. Well, staring him right in the eye. Yeah. I'll say this. Um, here's how I, I, this is no advice to anybody. I'm just telling you how I would operate. I'm not going to tell a pregnant woman not to drink alcohol unless she's gulping it. And then I think then I would I would start rallying a a group to do an intervention. It wouldn't be a solo operation. Uh, if I saw a pregnant woman taking like a couple sips of drinks, sure. But what if she's what if she's how, the mother of your child? She's housing Jack Daniels. I'd probably start pulling some people together and have a conversation. All right. Um, oh, if she's if she's the mother of my child, ah. You might have at least a little like you know an extra glance, an extra word or two, right? Right, but like. Tom isn't really playing that role right now, right? No, he's like, not. so it's, 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 I, it's, I would, I would treat that, di- that dynamic as almost like a cousin or something. Um, <laughs> please, we don't need more incest <laughs> in this show. Stop it. Yeah, she, she was, uh, she was expecting it, but she wasn't sure she wanted to keep it. Uh, she wasn't expecting it. She wasn't sure she wanted to keep it. And she didn't know if it was, if it was okay, like if it was a healthy child, right? She's talking about a pregnancy. Tom asked, 
uh, why she didn't tell him. She says, because it seems so sad, Tom. What a line. And then we were in a honeymoon phase. And Tom, giving credits to what I have been saying for episodes on the show, and you told me that Shiv is just some sort of like slithering snake in the grass, and this isn't true. He said, taking potential dad out for a test drive. Doesn't that just fit in right there? Sounds right to me. Caroline walks up, gives him a congratulations, Tom. Well, if it wasn't such a total fucking disaster, it would be a dream come true. Thank you, Tom. I wow. appreciate you just speaking that. What a line. This line of the episode. She says, uh, Caroline doesn't know what to do with that. She says, well, I, uh, I, I guess that should be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shiv says, okay, I'm, uh, I'm not going to see it. I'm going to do it the family way. So she's so smart between her and her mother. She jokes that it's okay not to see it. Shiv, um, they don't grow up emotionally stunted, do they, Caroline? I shouldn't think so. What do you think? Caroline's trying to rap with her, but she's uncomfortable with what Shiv's implicating here. She doesn't like this. She she does not like that Shiv is just saying, I'm going to do the same thing you did, Mom. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Peter pulls her away. Um, Tom says, fuck me. Your mom, too. Shiv says, you learn to disassociate fairly early, mm-hmm. which is probably painfully true. He says, I want to say sorry for not being here. Because I was like, I would have been, but I'm so tired now. If I hadn't, I... I've been awake for so long. I felt like I couldn't leave. She says, it's fine. And then he says this. I was the first in there with him after he died. So I did say goodbye. And he starts to get emotional. Yeah. Now, why do you think he's getting emotional here? Do you think it's as Shiv suggests that he's just he's just exhausted? Or do you think there's a bit of grief here for Logan? I think there's a bit of grief. I think he had, you know, he had a relationship with Logan. He viewed himself as being a son to Logan. I think that he's processing his grief, too, the same way a lot of people are. I think... You you talked about, you know, that sometimes you feel like you have to be strong for other people with respect to these kind of circumstances. We talked about that Tom, in the moment when Logan was dying, was trying to be the strongest he possibly could. He was trying to support everybody else, trying to coordinate this. He was not able to grieve because he had to be there for everybody else to have their opportunity. And we've seen several moments of where he's struggling with finding the time to grieve. He's not able to budget time the way Shiv is for this, apparently. So I, I think there's some legitimate grief here. I think that's a great callback to what Tom was doing immediately after the death because he was trying to take care of the kids and the messaging to the, to the kids. He was really the only one on the plane doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a really, I think it's a great callback. So, um, Tom says that the people at the hotel know him. Um, and he fucking hates it. Now, this is after she said, why don't you just go back to the apartment to sleep? Now, I have been telling you. You've told over me that they're again. going to be together, that it's always over going to work, regardless of what they do. These are two people who love each other. These are two people who love each other. each other. Regardless of how many scorpion stings they inflict, they'll find a way to make it work. And dear Christ, you may be right. Not find a way. It's that they, you don't get that worked up if you don't have emotion or care about a person. Like you just, they, they're getting hit. Me thinks thou doth protest too much. If you are, <laughs> thank you, Shakespeare. If, if you're fucking standing there screaming about how much you hate a woman, you don't hate her. Like you just don't. Well, because it, you, like, you may hate her, but that may not be the whole story. There's something else that you wouldn't feel so strongly. You wouldn't have to tell me so loudly, right? That's what I. That's my opinion here. But anyway, she tells him you can go back to the apartment, sleep while he likes that idea. He says he doesn't like the fact that the people at the hotel know his name, which is kind of kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and he walks off, leaving Cheryl alone. Shiv there alone, contemplative. Her cell phone rings. She gets it. Hey, Lucas says, it's a yes. Now, Shiv and him just go back and forth with shorthand. And he finally lands on, I think they're interested. I think I can make a USC work. She says, let's make a meatball burger. He tells her, meatball burger. He tells her good night. She smiles. 
What do you think all this is about? Do you think he actually heard from Minkin? I don't think he could have heard from Minkin that quick. I don't think Minkin would have committed that quick. I, so, well, then why did he say it's a yes? I mean, the implication is that it's Minkin, but the, 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 they think they're interested. I think I can make you see your work. I, I guess it's Minkin, but I was like, would they really hear back that fast? Or is he talking to his internal investors about, you know, ma- you know, making this kind of arrangement work? The implication is that it's Minkin. It just struck me funny that you get that kind of immediate kind of callback from Minkin on this kind of thing. That's a good point. It very, when you look at the wording, it very well could be he had gone back to his people in Gojo and got approval for a U.S. CEO. And that's what he's saying yes mm-hmm. to. And she, she didn't give away anything because all she says is let's make a meatball burger which i think is just a reference to like let's let's make a gojo us basically um it it could very well be minkin it just struck me funny that they'd hear they just like two minutes ago had the minkin conversation i couldn't picture they'd be hearing back from him that quick you know comes up to roman ask if he's okay roman says look at her in her fucking pomp she's fucking glowing all dope one in the chamber kendall (laughs) doesn't want to sit and rap with him he just says like i need your help Lucas and Shiv, there's an accommodation with Minkin. And Roman seems gobsmacked by this. Why? Because Roman is a beat late on everything this episode. He's just behind and he's just fallen further behind, right? Yeah. He also is not ready to, you know, think that his biggest power play, his biggest success of all things, of all things of all time is immediately blowing up in their face. And then how about this for a brother, brother, brother situation? Roman says, I don't feel so great. And Kendall says, I know. That's because you fucked it. That's okay. It happens. Thought you were dad. Tried to dad it. Roman is uh, Roman's lines during this is like he's flabbergasted that he's hearing this right now. He like he can't even just process that his brother's what do we what do we call this at best tough loving him right now. Uh, he's just dropping the veneer and just telling him exactly what he thinks. Roman yeah. says, take it easy. Now, in the moment, I think you and, and your girlfriend thought he was saying something different here than he was. Kendall says, yeah, you fucked it with Jared. Not Jerry. Yeah. Jared. Miss her. I saw it on, saw it on the rewatch that it wasn't in Jared. I think I think I don't think you were the only people that thought he said you fucked it with Jerry because that would have made sense, right? Because it would have been pulling back in him fucking up as a CEO, mm-hmm. but he didn't. He said you fucked it with Jared. Roman says, because you know, he tries to welch in the deal or whatever. Black. So Roman keeps going back like, we got him. We, we got ETN. We can do this. And Kendall's basically like, no. no. And then he says, I should have stopped it. So I blame myself. Most Logan most, line ever. <laughs> it's also one of the most condescending things you can yes. say to people. When somebody messes something up and you go to them and say, you know what? It's not your fault. I should have stopped you from trying that. Yeah, it, it is. That's so fucking condescending. <laughs> It's my fault that I gave you the freedom to fuck up. We don't want to say goodbye to Waystar. We have to get real and fight Shiv at the board. The boys versus Shiv the Shiv. <laughs> Good line. Shiv the, the Shiv the Shiv, like a Shiv in the Yeah, prison. The gut. Kendall says, it's okay. I mean, I've got it. I have a plan, but I'm going to need you to just help me out here. We can do this. Okay, dude. You fucked it, but it's all right. Roman looks fucking gobsmacked and storms out. Yeah. We also have the. We've never seen Kendall talk to another person like that, particularly one of his siblings. This is uncharted territory. This kind of this kind of Kendall that we're seeing now. Yeah, I think he's. I think he is just. He's um, he's taken the black. He's assumed. He's assumed the role, and this is just a new version of Kendall. But I do like he. He's he's hard. He's a force. 
He's a presence, right? He's all those Being things. Being his image of his dad. But he is more capable. Like, when he says here, I have a plan, season two Kindle says I have a plan. We're all rolling our eyes. Yes. This Kindle says I have a plan, and I think we all think, okay, well, he probably has something. Like, I mean, makes sense. I mean, I, you know, I think there's some trust there, right? I'm with you. 100%. So, Carl is passing around a video of Roman crying, which is oh, apparently God. making the rounds on social media. And the only person there who doesn't like it is Jerry. She is telling them that that's not, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, actually, right at the end, Frank says that's not right. So, Wait. I guess Frank and Jerry. Yeah, there's been some moments from both of them. Both hearing sarcasm, like you know, from Jerry about how much does everyone really care, from Frank saying, oh, yeah, 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 we all should come together. But then Jerry's the one that stands up and says, don't do that anymore. Frank says it here. He also, when Roman's freaking out, he, he takes a, take an opportunity to, very similar to how he talks with Kendall, checking with Roman and says, are, are you doing okay, son? Son. Like, the godparents still care as much as they are getting increasingly alienated from their godchildren. Agreed. Uh, and so Roman then takes off. He goes outside in this sort of, like, manic fit. And the police... First off, his security tries to tell him not to do it. Mm-hmm. Then, his, then the police try to tell him not to do it. But he goes out to where the protesters are moving, and they're 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 moving around in the city. And first, he tries to just stand by the the side, the, the barricade, and yell at them. But that doesn't get the reaction that he wants. And I was saying to you in the moment, and I don't think I'm like re- remotely alone in thinking this, that Roman was trying to hurt himself. Yes. This was like he wanted to get hurt, and so he stands right in the middle of them, calling them sons of bitches and stupid and all this stuff. So finally, one of them just elbows him Clocks in the face. Him. And then somebody tries to help him up, and Roman tries to push the guy away. But he's such a, like, not physical person that even pushing someone caused him to fall. Mm-hmm. And he just lays there. And that's that's the end. That's the end I, of the episode. I, I was getting worried in the moment because they were showing that the protesters, and there was a line of police that were moving them along. I was worried with Roman on the ground that he was going to run into the police cordon, and that might not have gone well. But yeah, well, straight there with you that Roman was looking to get hurt. He was yeah, looking he, to feel something. He was looking to feel pain. He was looking to be punished. He was looking for some kind of catharsis and violence inflicted upon him. It's like cutting. Yeah. Cutting cutting sometimes has a different connotation. It may be like the um how people used to do where they'd whip their backs, you know, if they, uh, they felt fl- like they had the flagellates, yeah. Yeah. So that's kinda of, kinda of what he was doing there. But anyway, there you go. That's the end of the recap of the episode. Spencer, are you ready for a line of succession? Uh ham for a second while I pull up my notes. Yeah, sure. I it's it's hard to do line of succession because I feel I want to do like speech of the episode, and I want God, to obvi- I, I obviously want to award it to Kendall, but I mean I I still think that what Shiv did was really great too, <clears throat> because she talked about what it was like to be a child, be Logan's child. Yeah, like that was an interesting was perspective. Like, hey, when we were we were young kids looking up at this mammoth of a man, this is how it felt. Yeah, Kendall doesn't try to hit the personal. He does not try to hit, you know, like that intimate my fa- my my perspective as a son and my father. That's not the story he's here to tell. It's Shiv that brings that to bear and it's it is special. But I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got my notes. All right, fire away. Uh, first thing, uh, the little mumbling affirmations that Roman does when he's recounting his speech earlier has some good lines in there. They have some good material in there. They offer some perspective in that. But they're like, you know, look out, see Shivy cry, see Kinney lie, see Roman the showman light up the sky. And also then just the very well-delivered speech by the seven continents and launching satellites and a great man indeed, a great father. All of that is well-delivered material, both about that Roman's is capable. He has written a great speech, but we're seeing the cracks that are ver- have been apparent all season, but are now rapidly coming apart. 
uh, back and forth between Shiv and Matson. Like, if you have a little dicky, maybe you don't show it at the nudist beach. Uh, Shiv, yeah, a tsunami just came and washed everything away. Look at that. The world is falling, sir. Shiv recognized it. No one is checking the dicks. Just seriously, I know this. Do it. Get them out. Um, also from Madsen, yeah, well, you've had democracy for like 50 years. What? No, I mean, yeah, well, you know, unless you don't count black people, which is kind of a bad habit. So it's really like you're nearly as mature a democracy as Botswana. It's like, Madsen, you're a dick. Stop saying these things. But yeah, sure. I accept your point. Uh, the, from Ken, from Kendall to, uh, Rava, you're, you're too online, okay? You've lost context. Everything is fine. A debate that we've been happily having in this episode between the two of us. Uh, from Tom, I'm tarred with the Minkin brush, so I may as well get the goodies, right? There's no point joining the party unless you get your little DACA. You did that line earlier. It's a great line. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I'm not going to repeat it because we already did, but everything Roman says over the course of the episode by either Shiv or Marsha with respect to Roman being a little creep. Culkin acts, acts this stuff well, but as you pointed out, it definitely has a degree of performance attached to it. Uh, Shiv summarizing Wyla and Connor's potential eulogy speech. Okay, well, I think this eulogy is going to leave us open to legal action. Please, please, I would release it online, HBO. I know you wrote Uh... The summary from the kids about who's there. Yeah, he's on top of the world, target-rich environment, glad-handing the sad faces. Oh, yeah, so many fucking money changers in the temple. Delightfully biblical there. Um, Frank's summary of Roman. Yeah, sure, life is short. We should all love one another. So delightfully deadpan. Uh, from Jerry. Yeah, he's gone. He's really gone. How much of you is glad? With Again, uh, Carolina's delightful reaction to that. Madsen. What are you thinking about uh, the handsome Nazi over there? Yeah, you think he's going to win? And if he does, like, ironically, would that be bad for a tall, blonde, white guy? <laughs> Funny-ass line. Uh, oh, from uh, from um, uh, the, the, their mom. Uh, Sally Ann was my carry, so to speak, so it's all water under the bridge now. Should we go and pile in? Uh, and then we'll come in, and God, Logan would hate this, and then Marcia... At least he won't grind his teeth tonight. And all of their reaction to that and the hand-holding and everything, and it's wonderful. Uh, the, uh, I, I don't want to... So are there key lines you want to hit in, with respect to these speeches? Because all of the speeches are an incredible package. But I mean, only only if you think that an individual line deserves consideration for best, right? So we wouldn't we wouldn't do like a whole, whole well, paragraph. I mean, it's, it's, a key line from you, you and the resume of me, I loved him. I suppose. And I suppose some of you did too. In whatever way he would let us and we could manage. That ties into a great shiv line too later. Uh, he was mean and he made but a mean estimation of the world. And he fed a certain kind of meagerness and men. Perhaps he had to. Perhaps there was a meagerness about him and maybe I do about me too. I don't know. I try. I don't know when, but sometime he decided not to try anymore. And that's a line that made me teary. And it was a terrible shame. Godspeed, my brother. And God bless. Uh, from Roman, is is he in there? Yeah, Connor Shiv, yeah. Well, can we take him out? Can we oh. get him out of... Yeah. Hell of a oh. line. Hell of a line, hell of acting. Uh, from uh, Kendall, I mean, just the ending of his speech is just incredible. But, you know, the terrible force about him and a terrible ambition that he could push you to the side. But 
But it was only that human thing, the will to be seen, to be seen, to do, and now people might want to tend and prune the memory of him and denigrate that force, that magnificent, awful force of him, but by God, I hope it's in me. Because if I can't match his vim, then God knows the future... If we can't match his vim, then God knows the future will be sluggish and gray. There wasn't a room, from the grandest state room where his advice was sought, to the lowest house where his news was played, where he couldn't walk and wasn't comfortable. He was comfortable with this world, and he knew it, and he liked it. And I say amen to that. That line about he was comfortable with this world, I love that kind of way of describing Logan. Um, then Shiv, the, I don't know, he kept us outside, he kept everyone outside, but when he let you in, when the sun shone, it was warm. And yet it was really warm in the light. It ties into Ewan's line, too. If they have that kind of similar thought with respect to this, they're all figuring out, it's always a similar perspective about the hard elements of their dad and their, and their own feelings about him. The back and forth from the kids who hit him, but on the subject of that monument, I wasn't expecting to laugh at this time in this episode, but I was damn right chuckling with, uh, with their summary and Connor's commentary on, this, on the, the memorial of theirs. Um, Marsha. I loved him very much. I miss him very much. He broke my heart, and he broke your hearts, too. God damn, Marsha. Uh, Ken, uh, Kendall's speech to Hugo. You know, Hugo, life isn't nice. It's contingent. People who say they love you also fuck you. So this is an explicit plan to fuck the deal. Me, rule the world, and you can come. But it won't be a collaboration, okay? You'll be my dog. But the scraps of my table will be millions. Millions. Happy? Woof, woof. Woo! Mencken, it's the Grim Weeper. Jesus Christ, if I had further grounds not to like you. There it was. Tiny tears. Tough tough joke. Uh, The back and forth describing Matson's philosophy that we already hit. And then just, yeah, from Ken. That's because you fucked it. Yeah, it's okay, man. Look, it happens. It happens. You thought you were dead, tried to dead it, but you fucked it. God damn, Ken. What a world. All right. Really difficult. All right. Best line of the episode. A lot of really, really good lines in this episode. I think this might be the strongest slate of nominees this season because of the emphasis on speeches, dialogue, explaining things, right? This is well-written stuff, but I am choosing. Because I'm talking for the segment, best line of the episode is... And there wasn't a room from the grandest state room where mm. his advice was sought to the lowest house where his news was played, where he couldn't walk and wasn't comfortable. He was comfortable with this world and he knew it. He knew it. And he liked it. And I say amen to that. What a line. What a, what a speech. The loser Roy of the Week is Roman. God, yes. I, he's all, I was worried he was suicidal. I'm not fully convinced he isn't with respect to the end of this episode. He, his lowest moment, bar none in the series. Very difficult moment moment for Roman. Um and then he's just to be behind everything else. I mean it all follows, right? He just he just gets out of loop. Nobody's updating him, nobody's talking to him. He becomes simply a hey man, I got something for you to do guy for Kendall as opposed to co CEO. Yeah, he's he's spun out in a NASCAR race. Everyone's already laps ahead of him now. He can't yeah. have no hopes of catching up. But the real conversation is around who won. Yes. That is interesting. I mean, I feel like it has to be a conversation between our two main horses that are competing for the last stretch of this race and in in, here in the finale. It's Shiv, it's Shiv or Kendall, right? Correct. I'm curious your thoughts, sir. Who do you think? Between the, between those two, who do you think is looking best to pass the post first? I think Kendall right now is almost the undisputed leader of the family. Just every step of the way, he is... He is being treated 
as the leader. He's acting as the leader. And he's sort of sliding into that role. But I gotta get winner, I gotta give winner of the week to Shiv because she comes the farthest. Agreed. She looks like she was dead in the water at the end of last episode. I, I think Kendall's still ahead. It's like, if, if this is a horse race, Kendall got out to most, a, such a massive yeah. lead, but Shiv's got the most, you know, momentum going into the last stretch. Yeah, she's, she's most, she's almost like how we talked about Greg, how Greg has made the most movement during the course of the series. Series, she's made the most, most movement during the course of this episode. Kendall might still be ahead, but I think I think the movement, the, uh, the positive forward momentum of Shiv. I mean, this looks like even Minkin is on board with the idea of letting the deal go through as long as there is a U.S.-based CEO. Now we both think that that will not be Shiv ultimately, but it looks like she, to me she won the episode. What do you think? I'm I'm with you on this. I think it puts it in perspective. I think Kendall still has farther ahead. I think he has more resources. I think he has. A full awareness of what Shiv is trying to do in a way that I don't think Shiv even probably knows. He has that kind of immediate information on her. Shiv still has a hell of tools. I mean, she hasn't even brought up the fact that, you know, Kendall was involved in the death of someone, Japaquitic style. So there's a lot that could still play out here. But I think Shiv came the farthest because we thought she was dead. We thought she was out. We thought that anything she offered here would just be self-destructive. Instead, she's put together a hell of successful play that may actually have legs. Whether it plays out in her favor, I have doubts. But she came from what I thought was almost being out of the race to making it a comp- making it straight up competitive here in the final stretch. So I think that's got that's got to be marked for a win. As much as I think Kendall is still holding his league with his own achievements in this episode, dark as it is, we get one more. We get one more episode, Spencer. Who's your predict? Yeah, I think it, I think you have three three options really. I, 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 the, the deal is stopped. Ken wins, the mm-hmm. deal goes through, and Shiv wins, the deal goes through, Shiv does not win, or maybe a fourth, and that the board basically tells them all, you know what, no deal, but we fire you all. Yeah, it's either Ken wins, Shiv wins, or no one wins. And there's various categories of no one wins. And I, if I'm betting on it, it's going to be, with this episode, no one wins, closely, closely followed by Kendall wins, then significant deadly down the way for me, Shiv wins. Okay. What do you think? Why would you rank? I think Kendall, I still am going with what we've been saying the last couple episodes. I think Kendall, quote, wins. The deal is stopped. Kendall, Roman is demoted. Kendall's made sole CEO. But he's alone in the world. But he's alone in the world and it's a Godfather 3 ending. Yeah. And even some of the music when Kendall is on screen kind of sounds like Godfather 3. It does. I think that, that resolution would fit in best with what we've seen previously. This episode did tend hard to the idea of maybe nobody winning here. It's almost like a F. Scott Fitzgerald, they just retreat into their money. That they've lost, but they've still got billions associated with it. All right. So, I'm going to kick back. My work here is Don Spencer's relationship advice to the episode. Yeah, I want to tie into a couple things we said before, but a couple things you emphasized in this episode. First, purely business, purely business you know, advisory kind of thing. I don't normally say do what Logan did, but... Ha- if you, it would be a boon to your family if you've had your own funeral already worked, your own funeral, your own mausoleum, your own interment, your own you know burial all worked out and all prepaid already. If you can have those arrangements clearly set out, if you can tell people around you how you actually want things to go, if you can set arrangements, are you pre-bought the mausoleum from what was it, Cat, cat Food Osbandius? Was that what Shiv said? 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are doing your family an incredible advantage because of how difficult, how expensive, how burdensome, and how conflict-ridden that process otherwise can be for them. So some element of relationship advice, but also just pre-planning advice. Ponder out not only how you want your things divided, but also how you want your exit to occur. And maybe even arrange some money with respect to it in advance or, you know, a funeral plot in advance or whatever else to make your family's lives easier down the way. Also, bring a cat to purr into the mic. It adds to the experience. She's telling you hello. She really likes the relationship advice of the episode. Yay! Hello, Spencer. This is my cat. My cat, Frost, is it, telling everybody hello. I posted a picture of her on Facebook.com slash Talks. She's a big fan of the podcast. I agree with you, Spencer. I also want to throw this option out there for people. You can have a private funeral. You can. You don't have to pay a funeral home nope. ten grand for people to sit nope. in a room and talk about you. You can have that at a private event, at a home, somewhere else that doesn't cost big bukus of money. Because if I when I kick off, man, I hope they don't. I, I want my family to just have a private funeral. You can save a lot yep. of money that way. Have a private funeral. Don't spend don't spend thousands of dollars on a luxury designer casket or anything else for whatever else you want to do with respect to it. Funerals can be exceptionally dear Christ expensive depending on what has been arranged. Just workshop it in advance and think about it for the sake of all that come after. Also, for the record, your cat is, your cat is, for our audience, his cat is indeed as adorable and as fun as, as she looks in pictures. She's the best, and she's very interested in the podcast, so she had to do a quick segment with you on Relationship Advice, the episode. One, th- one, one last thing for Relationship Advice made to resonate something that you talked about already, but I want to emphasize it again. Funerals. Rava are... was absolutely wrong to say. Oh no, sorry. Right, no, 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 no. Rava was a hundred percent correct. The oh, world is okay. burning, and I find it that sad that you and Kendall can't see this. But hmm, we're here for you. I, we're not physically. We're going to another state. But you know, in spirit, we're here for you to come to terms with this. Um, but in it, otherwise, other than that, um, funerals are an opportunity for people to process their own grief, their own feelings about another person. They are a prime opportunity for you to be magnanimous with those around you. For whatever grudges you've had, whatever difficulties you've had, maybe don't bring them up or maybe don't emphasize them at the funeral itself. Because if they're there, they're going through something too. They're experiencing something that you may not fully have been able to appreciate or fully able to comprehend. For this one day, for this one time, allow people to grieve, be there for them, resonate with them with respect to that. It can be profound, it can be meaningful, it can help you come to terms with what you're going through yourself to see even your most mortal enemies going through their own version of it. You can hate them tomorrow. Today is, an, today is a wonderful opportunity to grieve together. And I'd also throw in, uh, which I alluded to earlier, um, try to try to grieve yourself a little bit. Um, don't you know, don't just carry other people. Yeah, there's a tendency for, for some people, myself included, to to want to like sort of carry the water, try to help others around. But you know that that often can be really self destructive because you don't you don't grieve yourself, and then all of a sudden one day you're planning to get up and give a wonderful speech, and then you pull a Roman and you fuck it because oh. uh, you never know when it's going to pour out of you. Or, or you can just do a Spencer and, you know, cry one for one time in grief in the last 15 years. It, it, it's perfectly healthy, I assure you. He's like Shiv. He schedules it once every 15 years. It's on his calendar. Yeah, Nick. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's really good relationship advice of the episode. I like that. All about all about the funerals, all about the how to handle it, those it, things. It's the funeral that worked for me best. The funeral aspects of this episode were absolute stellar top 10 the other stuff that was also in there at the end the reception yeah. it was still great it was still succession but 
I feel like in some ways it is taking away from what was otherwise 10 out of 10 kind of a succession experience. There was no part of this episode that was bad. I don't want to no, say that. God, no. But didn't it kind of feel like it on and on and on? And Did, I was like, we, this should have been over at the end of the, the mausoleum. Didn't I actually even say out loud to myself, oh, we're still going? It's like, it was kind of felt like on and on and on. yeah, I kind of had that feeling too, man. I, I, I share that with you. The, you know, maybe they're just kind of boxed in because they, you know, they have, they're kind of one more episode and that's it. So they're trying to fit it all in. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I kind of give them a pass. Okay. You heard it here first. Spencer thinks that Ewan was completely inappropriate in his comments at Logan's wedding. Fuck you. And we don't like you. We're, we're a non-Ewan podcast. I will never say that about any James Cromwell role, sir. How dare you? Mm, all right, I'll say it for you. From Star Inap- Trek to Bane, I ride or die, James Cromwell. <laughs> no, nah, I totally get why Ewan felt like he needed. He, he was saying that for the public, not for the family. But there is that that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, thanks everybody for listening, folks. I can't believe it. We are coming up on the last episode, years in the making, of the Line of Succession podcast. I can't believe it. We're we're at the end. We have one more next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back here to review the series finale of Succession. We thank you all for listening. We hope you have a great week. See you then.